Our speaker this morning is Stacy C. from Portland, Oregon, who will speak on the topic, Facing Our Fears. Welcome, Stacy. Take it away. Thank you, Alice. And thank you everyone doing service. It was such a warm welcome this morning and just feels like even though it's virtual, I can feel the just loving energy of everyone going into all of this. It's really special. Um, I'm Stacy, anorexic, bulimic, and a compulsive overeater. Um, I live in Portland and I'm, I'm so excited to be here too because it's hard for me to get to in-person retreats. I have a three and a five-year-old and so like the virtual retreat is great for me. <laughs> I'm really happy for this opportunity. Um, so yeah, and I also love that I can start this workshop by acknowledging my own fears. The topic is facing our fears and I'm gonna start right away by modeling. Like, I'm not gonna pretend like I'm not in fear right now. Um, and that's one of the things that's really helped me that I've learned in recovery is like just being honest. Like, yeah, I'm in fear. Um, and I'll talk about in my story, just my journey through that relationship to fear. Um, but yeah, I have fears right now. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, the gift of recovery is that my desire to be of service and my excitement is greater than my fear right now. Um, the fear is still there, um, but I don't have that feeling of dread, which is what I would have for a lot of things um, throughout a lot of my life. It's like the fear would just be so powerful. It would overpower any type of excitement that I might be feeling about something. Um, but yeah, I have fears that I'm going to forget to say something that I think, you know, would be really helpful to people. I'm, you know, going to stumble or I'm just going to not say something in a particular way that could be as helpful to people as I want it to be, you know, so I'm just going to acknowledge that, like, those are the fears. And right before this, I just, I do a daily prayer and I just made it an extra, um, just talk to my higher power and just said, please help me just channel. I just want to channel you out to all of my fellows here. And I just want to say something that'll be helpful to people. Please help me do that. Um, and so I just feel my higher power here with me talking to all of you and just know that anything, actually everything I say is really like channeling my higher power and channeling all of the collective wisdom that I've learned through this program. Like I'm not going to say anything entirely original. It's all these different things that I've been lucky enough to hear from other people. So I hope I can share some things that are helpful. Um, I'm actually going to, so I have some slides just to uh, kind of show the structure of how I want to use our time today. Um, so I'm going to share that in the chat if that helps people look at it on their own device. I know sometimes, um, here I'm just going to write what it is. And let me put the link. Hopefully you should be able to access it just there. I, I made the sharing settings where you just, you don't have to have any special permission. As long as you have the link, you can view it. Um, and I'm gonna share my screen so I can get that started. Okay. And then let me get over to present. There we go. Can everyone see that okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so in particular, I when I thought about this topic, when I was asked to speak on this, um, one thought was like, well, I know fear very well, so I'm definitely qualified, and I'll tell you about that. And the other part was like, what helps me when I'm in fear? Like, I need some practical tools, you know, and I, it's fear is, and, you know, those bigger questions, but I need something like in the moment when I'm in fear, I need some tools. And so really the tools of recovery are what came to mind. Um, and so I'm going to spend the first time, the first part of this here, let me go ahead and whoops. There we go. Um, I'm going to spend the first part just talking about my story and how it relates to fear in particular. Um, and then um, 
Well, I'm going to talk about the tools of recovery and I'm going to kind of break each of those down. So we'll have a chance to have everyone do some writing and then sharing along the way about the different tools. So there'll pro probably be like a couple minutes break somewhere in there where if you want to have something to write on, um, I recommend getting that because we'll be doing basically like a little journaling um, during this. So I'm going to time myself because I don't want to take too long on my story here. Okay. There we go. Okay, um, so again, my name is Stacy. I'm anorexic bulimic and a compulsive overeater. Um, and really starting from the beginning, as far as like my fear journey, um, I was raised in a house that like was very fear-based um, by in particular a fear-based mother. Um, she would tell me stories of like when she was a kid, just sort of the anxieties and things that you know, it was almost like a family, I don't want to say it was a family joke, but sort of the family lore was like how, how what a nervous person my mom was and the types of you know anxiety she had about just like going to school and just doing different things in life. And my grandmother would tell me about this, about my mom when she was growing up. So that was sort of this established uh, persona. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter like what parts nature and what parts nurture, but I think I have both, you know, I think I come from a line of people that were like wired for fear in a particular way, you know, I do think there's genetic components to some of these things. Um, so I can see that and then and then I also think there's a nurture component, you know, where I was raised by a person who used fear in a certain way to protect herself from the world. So that's what I learned. And then my dad was like an anger based person. So then the fear came in to like try to protect me from that element. So, you know, it was a lot of like, okay, well, this is how I'm going to learn how to deal with life with like fear as a primary influence as like a, you know, kind of primary um, driver. And I'll talk a little bit more as I go along about how, you know, fear is necessary. Fear is something that's part of us that we can't get rid of. Um, but from where I come from, it was given too much power. You know, it's a, it is its own tool, but it was given like so much power. And then another message about it that I also see kind of in our society in general is that like, but don't let people know you're in fear, right? You should have shame about your fear. Um, you should like hide when you're in fear. Like don't admit that, you know, you have all this, these different fears. You should act like, like everything's just okay. Um, or have this sort of like dominating relationship with fear that like you're going to go in and conquer it. Um, so there was that too. So from an early age, those things were being established as far as like fear of the unknown, sort of, you know, fear of different opportunities, fear of, you know, social situations. Um, and I've learned, as my sponsor has explained it, it's like, then that's part of the recipe for addiction, right? There was this like element of fear kind of in my, in my household, in my environment. Shame was part of that as well, right? There's a shame about it. And then perfectionism comes in. And then if you already have like this, you know, allergy to whatever it is, um, you know, could be a variety of substances, you add all those things together and that's a recipe for addiction, right? So you've got fear, you've got shame, you've got perfectionism, and then whatever type of, you know, physical allergy is sort of like the catalyst for this. You know, it makes me think of those old science experiments where you take the, uh, what is it, baking soda and vinegar to make a homemade volcano. So it's like the baking soda, you know, is all those different like the fear and perfectionism and shame. And then you just like dump the vinegar on there, right? With the, like the physical allergy. And then, then you have, this is addiction, right? And its effects. Um, so by the time I was uh, going into adolescence, you know, and just all the uh, intensity of that period, um, really, you know, where it's like crossing over into like 
loss of innocence and all those ways that just happen in life, um, you know, more awareness of the world. So that just led to like more fear for me and a lack of tools, right? I didn't have tools to deal with this fear. So this is when this was a, the big turning point for me. This was the first um, manifestation of addiction for me where this was the first spiritual bypass. I've learned that's one way to identify this where like rather than learning to face the fear and go into it since I didn't have those tools it's like I there's a bypass here I'm going to go around that and the way around that was control control was the first solution and that <clears throat> showed up for me in anorexia and exercise bulimia and so that was like the first you know like I can't there was some acknowledgement it wasn't even conscious but like some acknowledgement like I can't control this big scary world um, I can't control these weird things happening in my family, you know, and just like different things I see people doing all my different fears just about being, you know, a student in middle school <laughs> and, but I can control my food. I can control what goes into my body and I can control like all the movement that my body does and try to like make my body a certain way. So, and my sponsor and I have also, she's given me this persona of like this was when the mafia boyfriend showed up as like hey you know as the eating disorders like hey I'm going to come and protect you I know it's big and scary out there so like you know anorexia in this case being sort of like the boyfriend who's a little bit dangerous but like who seems like a really good protector so that's sort of stepping into my life at that point um, so the anorexia and exercise bulimia and other sort of attempts at bulimia went on for a few years that eventually evolved into binging, um, partially because I, anorexia is a really hard disease to keep up for very long, you know, in a very strict way. So um, binging was kind of the next part of that, which was its own sort of numbing from fear, right, through both the process of the addiction itself, like the ritual of it. <clears throat> and then there's, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the chemical part of like, there's actual, you know, consuming sugar does have an effect on our pain response, you know, that type of thing. So there was both the process and the chemical um, addiction of, of binging that, you know, came into the picture uh, later on when I was a teenager. And then as, you know, life kept going. So later in my teenage years, it's like those things weren't strong enough. It's like, again, the fear just kept getting, it's like, because I didn't know how to deal with it, there was a sort of exponential aspect to it, you know, and life gets bigger as you uh, start to grow up and I didn't have the tools for that so and then I also had sort of again that layer of judgment like knowing that this fear was getting bigger and feeling that a lot but like I should be able to conquer this right that sort of judgment and shame layer um, if I just had enough willpower right I'd be able to like break through this fear instead it just got stronger um, so then I needed something, you know, this, I was still on the spiritual bypass of like not knowing how to go into the fear and using control instead. And then I needed something stronger at that point. So that's when I started using drugs and alcohol and, you know, that really shut down fear effectively for, you know, off and on for quite a while. So that was all part of the mix for me. I was still in different cycles of my eating disorder, you know, different cycles of, um, anorexia and bulimia, but then I'd alternate that with binging and then the drugs and alcohol were all part of this picture for the next several years. Um, I'd say by the time I was in high school and college, the I've heard addiction described as a fear of life. I think that's a very succinct and accurate description um, where it's like, really, I was afraid of about afraid of everything about life in different ways. And it had become like fully rooted by then, it really makes me think of the big book line um, from page 62, that we were driven by a hundred forms of fear. You know, that's what 
it felt like all the time. By this time, I was like hiding in my various addictions. Um, I was starting to miss, I was starting to step back from opportunities. Um, I had a, an internship at a newspaper and I was, I wanted to be a journalist and I basically like squandered that um, out of fear. I had an opportunity to join an African dance company in college that I, and I really admired the director and was like, I love that type of dance. It's something that, you know, I was really excited about, but again, fear was bigger um, than that enthusiasm. And I, I let go of that opportunity as well. I was too afraid of just all the different, um, you know, the vulnerability and all the different things that that would require from me. So I, my, my life really started getting small, smaller and smaller um, in a lot of ways. And it also makes me think of that line from the OA 12 and 12. Um, this is from step one, page six. We ate to sate the fears, anxieties, we procrastinated, we hid, and we ate. And that's what a lot of my days looked like when I wasn't, you know, I would, I was going to college, it was sort of like a double life thing, you know, I was trying to achieve and yet I would like binge for days at a time, you know, at home when I didn't have to be in class or sometimes I would skip class, you know, and just be like hiding away, binging because just the prospect of like showing up for my life was too much at that point. Um, eventually, so all this behavior continued. And eventually when I was in grad school, I was suffering from, from full-blown panic attacks. Um, this was like due to a, a few different things. I think just because like I was getting to the point of looking at shaping my career more and like just really big scary questions around that. I was drinking more and then thinking like, well, if I just drink more, like that'll help me relax. And of course that just like continued this cycle of that actually just makes the anxiety worse. Um, I would also binge to try to, you know, break down the anxiety. And then that would just, I would have sort of compensatory anxiety that would come up after these binges. So that just like made the whole, the entire cycle a lot worse. Um, so that's basically what it was like uh, leading up to getting into recovery um, for me. So then in early recovery, um, this is when, you know, so what it looked like for me, I first got in recovery uh, for drinking and uh, drugs and then found my way to OA pretty soon after. Um, I was, I started to learn about fears that were, you know, driving me all the time. And I was angry all the time. I mean, I was someone who was, uh, I've generally always been in touch with anger, like pretty well. Um, but this was just like, I just felt angry all the time and I didn't understand what that was about. And as I worked the steps, you know, I discovered that for me, at least fear is pretty much always at the root of my anger. You know, it's always at the root of my resentments. I just wasn't ready to look at the fear part yet, you know, cause that's the more vulnerable part. I, I like anger. I'm like, oh yeah, I feel powerful in anger. Like I know, I know how to do anger. Um, but the fear part, um, as far as like being vulnerable in the fear and sort of admitting to it, admitting to it. I didn't know how to do that yet. I mean, it would be things like, I remember having this revelation one day early in recovery. I was trying to, I think I was trying to get home after work. I was stuck behind someone who was driving really slowly and I was like getting really, you know, disproportionately angry about it. And I was like, why am I so angry about this? You know, I, I recognize that this anger like didn't entirely make sense. And I'd done enough step work by then to know, oh, I'm angry because I view this person as like hindering my progress on my day. And this person's slowing me down and I'm gonna get home later now. And I'm not gonna have as much time to like get all these things done that I think are gonna make me worthy. you know. And that's what the fear was about. Like I was afraid 
that I wouldn't be as productive that day and what that would mean for me, you know, because that's a lot of my self-worth is like how much I get done every day. So I had to, there was a lot of work around like starting to connect those dots, you know, and like follow the threads of those things. And that was sort of my initial kind of education and fear. Um, you know, it really was like that initial sort of transition from the phrase, you know, F everything and run. That's what fear stands for. I'm not going to swear on here because I know it's being recorded um, to face everything and recover. Right. That's what like that started to be the beginning for me to like understand what that meant. It was still really slow and painful. Um, I still was using as I was, you know, in recovery and sober from drinking, I was still using a lot of food, you know, it was really difficult for me, I was still binging a lot. Um, I was still using food I see now as like a buffer against the fear because it was like, whoa, you know, as I'm in recovery, I knew I could feel the power of the truth that I was now like willing to get closer to, but it was still like, ooh, uh, I need a little armor here still. So I remember sitting in AA meetings like stuffed from food that I had, you know, eaten before because that was kind of like my armor for the meeting, you know, it was like, okay, I'm here and I'm going to share, but I still needed to, to use food to kind of like keep that protection there. Cause it was still really hard and uncomfortable to face that fear. Um, but yeah, thanks to the, you know, especially the fourth step, fourth and fifth step, um, sixth and seventh, really, you know, so many of the steps, uh, 10 and 11, and then starting to do 12, you know, and learning how to do service, you know, all of those different things started to break down fear in different ways. Um, and I'll talk about some of those, how like the steps, you, you're kind of working the steps through as you work the tools too. Um, I'll get to that when we start getting into the tools more. Um, so yeah, as I've moved on in recovery and I've been in recovery, I've been in OA now for almost 12 years. Um, that I've, I've been able to appreciate the subtlety of the process for me. I'm not a person who was like struck abstinent or had this, you know, like there's a certain sort of transition and then, you know, fears were lifted. Like it's been very convoluted. Um, it's not linear for me. I wanted it to be linear, but it's not. Um, but I've learned to see that as I like drop different aspects of my addictive behaviors, you know, I can do that as I'm willing to like use the steps more and I like understand the steps more and more deeply and I can use the tools more and the tools just become more comfortable you know it's been like very slow where it's like oh I can drop that one little snack that I never thought I could like get through the night without um, because I was able to start using the tool of the telephone more and just like texting people you know at night to be like hey here I am again after dinner just ate dinner want to have a snack right away. Like that was always, you know, like the impulse every single night. And because I was willing just to reach out to people and to say that like literally over and over again, like pretty much every day, there was a period where I was doing that, where I'm just like, yeah, here I am nightly report. I'm back again, wanting to eat, even though I don't need, I know I don't need anything to eat right now. You know, so that was just one tiny example of like, and then I was, you know, eventually that impulse for having the snack after dinner, like started to drop away. Um, and so there's been lots of different instances of that as I've gone along. Um, and there's another passage from, this is also step one, of uh, the OA 12 and 12, um, page six. Um, this is kind of like what came up for me a little bit later along the way. We sometimes recognized we had problems, but felt that life would be manageable if only we could stop the compulsive eating. Whenever we did stop, however, we found life unbearable. Even getting to our desired weight didn't cure our unhappiness. And I also I put in brackets for myself, even getting to our desired weight didn't cure our anxiety and our fear. Um, so that's something that 
later on um, in my recovery story. Since becoming a parent um, a little over five years ago and entering my 40s a couple years ago, um, I found that fears are much more nuanced and complex. Um, it's sort of like, oh, those things that I was afraid of before, that was like elementary level fear. Th these are like, okay, we're in like grad school level fear now. I'm like, I'm responsible for two other people, little person's lives. And, you know, this is like not messing around. Um, so, you know, it's like, I have to use the tools more as I'm on this, this journey of aging, which is no joke. I know I don't have to say that to a lot of people on here. It's like, I've, I'm acutely aware in my forties that I have like, I feel like I have one foot still kind of in youth and I have one foot like in old age. I'm like straddling that like weird place and where it's just like, what is happening? I don't know what's going on with my body and what's going on with my face sometimes when I look in the mirror in the morning. It's like, who is this? Um, and that's just like, you know, some of the vanity kind of stuff, but some of it's also functional, right? It's like, I'll get pains from doing things that I'm like, seriously, I that like caused my back to spasm just from doing that basic thing that I used to be able to do all the time. So like just dealing with some of those things, sort of, you know, the big, the big existential stuff. Um, and then as a, as a parent too, um, and again, just like the anxiety around like the world for my children, right? And like, just trying to protect my children. Um, I mean, there's like acute fears that come up around that all the time. So basically this was around, I wanna say two two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago after my, my second child was born, it was kind of the perfect storm. Um, my body was changing after, the second pregnancy, you know, and my weight was kind of settling again. Um, I was noticing more signs of, you know, aging. I had this postpartum body that's like, wow, I've given birth to two kids. There's interesting things happening here. Um, I had sort of the postpartum, postpartum, you know, hormonal things going on, um, struggling more with depression and anxiety, sort of like my fears being heightened by that factor, um, being just really anxious and, and busy, you know, working as a parent. And really um, control stepped in again as like, oh, this is what you need, right? So I was in this sort of new new phase of vulnerability in my life. And um, I also was processing, I was going through some therapy and some work in another program, like processing some old family trauma. And so like that was bringing up things that I didn't even realize um, was kind of taking me back to, you know, my childhood and life and adolescence, some things that were like, oh, I've sort of come full circle in a way, like back into anorexia now. Um, so it's like, you know, I didn't have necessarily all the willingness or even awareness to use the tools. Um, it's like, they just weren't strong enough in the ways that I needed at the time. So it's like my old protector stepped in, right? Um, anorexia is like, oh, hey, we're here. We're gonna help you feel like you're in control. Even though part of me knew like, I'm not really in control, but even the feeling of control was helpful. Um, against that fear. So that was sort of like my fear shield for I'd say like over a year. Um, and I've realized I've done a lot of work around that since um, as I've been in this stage of my program um, with just looking at how control is this like ultimate trade of freedom for this sense of false security, right? Um, and and how that works as far as like what I'm giving up to hang on to this sense of control. Um, you know, really losing touch with the, the divine, with my higher power, you know, my true self when I'm in like compulsive activity, 
um, or, you know, compulsive exercise or restriction, those types of things, you know, really cutting off my higher power, which I view as love, and then just letting fear like take over. Um, so that leads me to kind of where I am today, uh, really struggling with chronic anxiety. Um, I really had to start stepping up with my use of the tools. Um, I really had to be more specific with my action plan, which I'll talk more about in the, the second part here. Um, more meditation and prayer, using the phone, uh, being required by my sponsor to use the phone, um, like very specifically. And um, I really resented that at first. It was like, what? I am a busy parent. You know, I have two little kids and I'm trying to work outside the home, you know, and I'm doing this and that. It's like, and you want me to sit here and call people? <laughs> and I am so grateful for it now because, yeah, I'll talk more about that as I touch on that tool. But like, that is what has saved me. Um, making adjustments to my plan of eating, which I'll talk about, and getting some outside help. And then I probably don't even really have to say, I'm going to go ahead and try to wrap this up in just a few minutes here. Um, that, you know, 2020 for me, as for many of us, was like a masterclass in fear response. Um, you know, I already had this like heightened chronic anxiety that had gotten worse again after having kids and, you know, just dealing with life. And then it was like 2020 came along and it was like, oh, hello. Um, so I've learned during, you know, this past year, and I've also like this feels really special to be on this retreat and for the one year anniversary really that I view, you know, of this pandemic. Um, because yeah, I've learned that it's not about like conquest or control of fear. Like that has not worked for me. Um, I was, you know, like many of us, I was facing like new levels of just like total, total powerlessness and precariousness, you know, where that feeling like I kept hearing people saying it, like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, yeah, no one did, <laughs> you know? Um, and that feeling of like, I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, no one knows what's gonna happen. That's the problem, right? Um, so all of those things. Um, and as I heard a writer describe it, first the rug is pulled out from under us, then the floor is pulled out from under the rug, and then the ground is pulled out from under the floor and like, and now we're getting somewhere on like where this fear is going. Like, yeah, that sounds about right. It's a pretty accurate summary of, of this year, of this past year. So yeah, it's more about, again, not conquest or control, but I like to think of it as like transmutation of fear, right? Or like leveraging fear um, because fear is gonna be there. And so how am I gonna respond to it in a way that can be more productive? Um, so that brings me to my, and I'll wrap up my story with this part. Um, my understanding of fear today and like a, a lot of things that I've learned over the past year and just throughout recovery. So I think of, you know, life as a journey and I'm driving this bus that I'm on. So I don't get to decide what bus this is or like what route it's on, but I'm just, you know, I'm on this bus. I like to think of it like one of those big tour buses. Um, if you've ever been on one of those, it's got like a loudspeaker. So the tour guide can like talk to all the passengers on the bus. So it's one of those kind. Um, and I'm at the wheel because I believe this is just my belief system. I believe humans have free will. Um, but my higher power is right there next to me. And it's kind of like if you ever have taken um, driving lessons, when I took them, there was this special brake system that the driving instructor had, you know, it's like this override system. So I would be driving, I was 16. And the driving instructor's right up front next to me, but he had his own brake. So like he could stop the car if he needed to, you know, if I was doing something that 
he was worried about like he could put on the brake. I think there were some other controls he had too. So, you know, again, it was like the override system. Um, so that's how my high, I kind of view my higher power. Like my higher power is right next to me up front, but the higher power, like they're sort of the driving instructor, right? They're helping like tell me where to go. Uh, sometimes they do reach over and take the wheel, right? That's what I need. Um, sometimes they're, you know, taking over the controls and like putting on the brake or like, no, we're going down this route instead. And I'm like, what is happening? Why are we doing that? But okay. Um, so the, you know, my higher powers, they are giving me directions on like, okay, we should stop here or we should pull over. I think we need to ask dire for directions from some other people right now. You know, we need to stop and refuel this bus, you know? So like, I'm doing this with my higher power. I'm not driving this bus alone. Um, I, we're there doing it together. The other thing about this bus is that there's passengers. This bus is, is full of passengers and I don't get to choose which passengers are on this bus and I'm not allowed to kick them off. So this is like the integration piece of like who I am as a human. Um, so you know, this is part of like recovery where I need acceptance for that, right? I can't just like slice off parts of my psyche or my body, right? As I've like fantasized about doing at different times. It's like, no, this is all me. So I have to accept like fear is on the bus, right? Shame is on the bus. Perfectionism's on the bus. Anger's on the bus. Judgment. They're not all negative though. You know, courage is on the bus. Love, of course, is on the bus. Curiosity, compassion, joy. Um, it's a little bit like my sponsor likes to reference that Disney Pixar movie Inside Out, if you know that one where the different emotions inside a girl's brain are like personified. It's really helpful for me to think about things that way. So fear in particular, fear is on this bus and fear can be really big and it can also kind of like multiply, right? So it can like sort of multiply and then start like running around like a bunch of like crazy toddlers on the bus. And it can like start taking up a lot of different seats. It can start running up to me as I'm driving and like yelling at me and distracting me, right? It can start to try to like push me out of the driver's seat or try to even like push my higher power out of the the driving instructor seat up at the front. It tries to, again, this is a tour bus that has a loudspeaker on it. So, you know, I like, like to think of my higher power, like announcing like, and we're coming up here now next at the next destination of Stacy's life. Um, but sometimes fear comes up and like hijacks the loudspeaker, right? And to start to like narrate of like, oh my God, where are we going? What is happening? What is up ahead? And, or sometimes even looking in the rear view mirror and being like, Let's even sit here and go through fears about what's already happened, right? We can do that too. Fear is endlessly creative in that way. So, you know, fear has a lot of power. It does have the power to destroy. So I need to, I need to respect it, right? Um, and again, it can be, it's its own like part of the human psyche. Um, I can't remove it, but I can learn to work with it. So I also notice how fear we'll start to like kind of work together with shame and perfectionism. I have to watch out for that. Um, and I've learned that the opposite of fear is not courage to me. The opposite of fear is love. And so that's where love, and that's how I identify my higher power in a lot of ways, is the other group on the bus, right? Fears they're hanging out with shame and perfectionism and being like, oh yeah, how can we spread through the rest of this bus? And we're gonna like take over everybody on here. And love, my higher power is like, Okay, compassion. Okay, acceptance. Okay, curiosity. Come on, let's come together here. And so I can still hear like all these voices, you know, I can still hear like the voice of fear in there, but I get to direct that loudspeaker mic to what I call the love team, right? So this, there's the love team and there's the fear team. And I choose to be on the love team today. 
Um, Cause I know my default is still the fear team. Like I know how to be part of that team and part of me probably always will be, but like I've worked really hard to learn how to be on the love team and to stay on there. So at this point today, I don't let fear drive the bus, right? And I know I can't kick it off, but I invite it to sit somewhere because it does have information for me. It's got some type of guidance for me. Again, remembering that like fear is there. It's like wired into our brains because it's there to protect us. Um, so it shows me what I care about. You know, if I stop and pay attention to it, it shows me the, the truth of that I'm a fragile human in a very precarious world. Um, and it keeps me safe in healthy doses. Um, so again, healthy doses being the, the, the key word there. So one of the things I'm learning to do lately, and this was interesting coming up for this workshop, is like detangling engagement um, and enthusiasm from fear. You know, I've also learned that like for me, if I'm afraid when I do something, it means I care about it and that's fine. But sometimes it becomes like, well, if I'm not afraid enough, then it must mean that I don't care enough about this thing. And it's like, well, you can be like really engaged and really enthusiastic and you don't have to be like here in, you know, intense fear about something like lack of fear is not apathy. So I'm like learning sort of those subtleties. Um, and another thing that I've learned about it, again, that idea that like, I can't conquer or control fear, you know, there's that that trope of like slaying the dragon kind of thing, I think around fear in our culture, you know, where it's just like, just come up and like slice down the fear with a sword of courage. And it's like, yeah, that's helpful to some extent. I understand that. But what has actually helped me more is like dropping that adversarial, like aggressive relationship to it and like coming up with more of an accompaniment with fear, right? Something that's a little bit uh, subtler, right? Like inviting in the other aspects of like compassion, curiosity, acceptance, and like we're creating a huddle as fear is like running around, still trying to like take over everyone. It's like, okay, compassion, okay, curiosity, what do you want to all tell me right now? You know, okay, love, what do you want to say here? Like, I can't fight fear with hate or aggression, right? And be like, ah, I'm going to get so mad at this fear, I'm going to chase it away. That doesn't work for me. Um, I can only fight it really with love and acceptance. I shouldn't even say fight it. That's not the right word. I can only like temper it with love and acceptance. Um, uh, there's this idea that I like that's like tenderness will, will bring me to places that toughness cannot, you know, and that's part of the like dropping the anger, you know, that's like my tough sort of, you know, exterior. But like if I'm willing to get more tender and go to that vulnerable, vulnerable place, where fear resides, like that's where some real gro growth and learning is for me. Um, so yeah, I often ask, like I ask my higher power to take over on the loudspeaker on the bus and just be like, what does love want to say here, right? Um, I've heard enough from fear, what does love want to say here? So I think that might be a good place to pause in my story and transition over to the tools. Um, so if anyone needs to grab any paper um, we're going to be doing a little bit of writing, a little bit of reflecting. Um, I'm going to talk about each of the nine tools of recovery and how they relate in particular to addressing fear, how they've worked for me, how they've helped me, give you some examples, um, and then have some time for people to write and reflect on that and share some of their own thoughts and their experience, strength, and hope. Um, so I'm going to first, I, oh, I think I was going to say this first, but I forgot, but that's okay. We'll, we'll look at it now. Um, there's a couple definitions of fear that are helpful. For me, it's helpful to have like working definitions um, of these things. So one way to think about fear is that fear is the feeling produced by the prospect of the loss of something you love. Um, this comes from Aristotle. 
And this one is definitely relevant. I'll talk about that in some examples of doing like a fear inventory because, you know, fear is about like what I don't, I'm not going to get what I want, right? Or what I think I need, or I'm going to lose something that I already have, right? That's what a, most of my fears can be traced back to. So that's one sort of working definition of fear. Fear is the feeling produced by the prospect of the loss of something you love. And then a second one, this is from Edmund Burke, who's uh, an 18th century philosopher. No passion so effectively robs the mind of all its powers of acting and reasoning as fear. For fear being an apprehension of pain or death, it operates in a manner that resembles actual pain. And this one helps me just understand, like sort of respect the power of fear, right? And if I don't address it, if I try to ignore it, um, or if I stay in that mentality of like, well, if I'm just strong enough and have enough willpower, I can conquer this. I'm just gonna be staying in pain, right? So it's respecting the reality of like, yes, fear can cause actual pain. Um, it's a very painful state to live in. It is really a state of hell um, for me, like spiritual hell. And I felt that way even in recovery. Um, so it really shows me the importance of using the tools um, when I'm in that state. So one more time, I'll read that one. No passion so effectually robs the mind of all of its powers of acting and reasoning as fear. For fear being an apprehension of pain or death, it operates in a manner that resembles actual pain. And again, that's from Edmund Burke. Um, okay, so here's, here's the solution, right? This is how I respond to those things. How do I use the tools of recovery to face fear and build fear resilience? And this term fear resilience is really helpful to me because again, it's accepting that I can't eliminate fear. I can't conquer fear. Um, but I can build my resilience around fear and just even looking at it that way um, starts the healing process for me where it's accepting like I experience fear every day, like, in all, and, you know, in different degrees and in different ways. Sometimes it's like really just small fleeting, you know, moments, other things, it's very persistent. But like if I can accept like, yeah, fear is going to come up literally every day of my life. Um, that helps just deal with the reality, right? Life on life's terms. And then I can look at, okay, how can I respond to this productively? So again, how do I use the tools of recovery to face fear and build fear resilience? So I'm going to break these down and we'll talk about each one. So I want to talk about literature first. So here's the main question for literature. So I'll talk about some of my experience around it and then I'll have everyone kind of think about this or write about this for themselves. How do I use literature to understand fear and how I, and how I can respond to it in recovery? So what comes up for me, again, I'll let me read that one more time. How do I use literature to understand fear and how I can respond to it in recovery? So for me, when I read literature, it's like I see myself in the literature, right? Um, the literature is there and it could be all different kinds of literature. It's there as like collective representation of our experiences in recovery, right? And experiences of people in the rooms and how they, how they work this program and how they live life in recovery and how they face fear. So I'm no longer alone with my fear when even I'm just reading literature, right? I know that someone else wrote this. I know actually probably more than one person wrote it together, right? That it went through the World Service Office and then has been distributed to millions of people in recovery. Like just reading the literature, just picking it up brings me into that, that network of recovery. Um, and the, this one passage from the big book, page 67 to 68, 
uh, really touches on some of the kind of core definitions of fear. I remember it resonating with me when I first came into the rooms. This short word, fear, somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? And then it gets a little bit into like kind of more fourth step background, but I think this is still helpful in a general way. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them down on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was as good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. So even just that passage alone, again, just reminds me of the message, like, I'm not alone doing this. And, you know, what is my higher power? My higher power is love. How do I use that to respond to fear? And also validating that, like, oh, yeah, I'm not the only one where I've, you know, felt fear touching every aspect of my life, you know, that takes a lot of the shame out of it and judgment for me. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to give everybody like another minute or two just to jot down any thoughts or do any more thinking on this first question. And then we'll do a little writing about some of our fears in particular. So again, we're just thinking or writing about how do I use literature to understand fear and how I can respond to it in recovery. So just take another minute or two to reflect on that. We'll take about 30 seconds more. Just any thoughts that come up right now? How do I use literature to understand fear and how I can respond to it in recovery? Okay, so we'll go on to the next one, and then we're going to have some time to share some of our thoughts so far. Okay, so here's a big one. Um, we're going to do a little writing, sort of a mini fear inventory, 
And so this isn't an official fourth step. Um, it definitely is in that style. Um, this isn't a step workshop. That's not how I decided to set this up, but it's asking the same basic question um, of uh, fear inventory on the fourth step is what do I fear today? Why? And then, so just work on those first two questions. Actually, I'm not even gonna read the last question yet because I want you just to focus on the first part. So what do I fear today and why? And I'm gonna give you a sampling of some of my fears just to, just to let you know of what an average day might look like for me um, with my fear. So yeah, this writing, I am a writer um, as a profession. So writing is a tool that I take to very naturally. Um, it really helps me discover the nature of my fears, get to know fear better. Um, again, change that relationship from adversarial to more um, kind of an allyship in a way. It helps me get in touch with the hundred forms of fear that the big book mentions. And it helps keep fear right-sized, right? When I really get in touch with it and I take time to understand it, it doesn't take over. Um, so here are some that I just jotted down. The uh, transitions, like COVID transitions, it will not happen the way I want it to. Uh, certain restrictions will ease or they won't, right? I'm afraid of either one. Uh, my work schedule will change yet again. My work schedule changes a lot um, or I won't find enough work over these next few months as things change. Um, I'll have to go back to driving a lot um, since my kids will be back in school in the fall. I'll have a bigger carbon footprint that I don't wanna have. I'm gonna lose aspects of life that have actually really helped me that I've cultivated in lockdown. Um, I'm worried that people will blindly return to habits that aren't good for themselves or humanity or this planet. And then that leads me to some bigger existential fears. I'm powerless over the destruction of this planet and it will become too unsafe for my children and their fellow humans. Uh, different fear. Uh, my grandfather is sick right now. Uh, he may be going into hospice soon. So I'm just fearful about what will happen to him in these next stages. Um, I'm afraid of we're gonna be remodeling our basement in the next few months. And I have this fear about like that we don't deserve to do it, you know, when so many people are struggling. Um, it feels like this, you know, privileged thing that maybe we shouldn't be doing. Um, I'm worried it won't go well and I won't be able to handle the chaos that any kind of like remodel brings up. I'm even worried about, I'm afraid of the organizing that I have to do, like all these things I need to get rid of and organize before we even do the remodel. I'm afraid of like organizing things in the wrong way. Um, if I spend time organizing, I won't be spending time on things that really matter to me, like work, uh, creative things, things that keep me healthy, you know, my kids, my friends. I'm worried that I'll get rid of things that I'll realize I want or need later, um, or I'll lose evidence of my past and what was important to me. I won't know who I am anymore without some of these things. So this is what I, it helps me to keep writing and to keep getting to like down through the layers of the onion, like get to that core of like the, the all of these boil down to the innermost sort of layer. I will lose everything and everyone I care about and I will waste the precious gift of my life and I won't do anything meaningful to make a difference. Like if I were to trace, you know, even fears that seem really superficial, like I can tie them generally back to those things. So again, that idea of like the Aristotle definition of fear that I will lose everything and everyone I care about. And I know that's an existential part of life. So that's a fear that comes up a lot and that I'll waste this precious gift of my life. 
I won't do enough meaningful things or make a difference. Okay, so those are just a sample. That is just a sample of just today of some of my fears. I'm, I'll stop there. I probably could keep going, but I'll stop there. I want to give a few quiet minutes for people to think and write um, just on what any fears that come up today for you. And then try to trace the why. Try to ask, like, why do I have this fear? Try to get a little bit farther down into what is behind this fear? What is underneath this fear? for you. So we'll take a couple, few more minutes, give people a chance to think about them. And I'm just posting the slides I'm using in the chat. Again, if anyone wants to be able to pull those up on your own device, that link should work for you, hopefully. So we'll just take another couple minutes. Thank you, Mickey. Another couple minutes to do any more brainstorming on fears that are on your mind today. All right, let's take about one more minute. Add anything else that comes to mind? Any fears on your mind today? Try not to edit, try to just let things come out. You may have a voice saying, don't share that fear even to yourself. Try to just get it out. No one has to look at this but you. So try to include anything, any fears and any reasons why, anything behind that fear that you can identify right now. We'll go for about one more minute. 
I don't know if everyone can hear that it again. Give you a little sound. Okay, so we're going to pause there. And again, you may have more fears, like what happens to me sometimes when I open that fear door, like they just all start trying to rush out. It's like, oh, no, wait, there's more. There may be more. Just try to pause for, for right now um, for our purposes here. You And this may be just a starting point for you to get in touch with some other ones later on, too. Um, so the next piece of this, we got to really pause and identify our fears and like give them voice. But again, because I choose to be on the love team today, I have to ask, what does love say about these fears? Okay, so I'm going to give you just some of the things that come up for me based on the fears I've already shared. So I like, it's basically kind of like a dialogue with my higher power, right? I just like see what I start kind of free writing and see what comes out of what my higher power wants to say. And one question to think about this um, is like, what are the most loving, supportive, patient, and compassionate words I wish someone else would say to me right now? Let me repeat that question. What are the most loving, supportive, patient and compassionate words I wish someone else would say to me right now. So this is like that voice coming out, right? Whatever that might be for you. So for me, what comes up, my higher power or love says, everything is transition. Like in case you didn't already know, it's all transition. It makes me think of uh, Nora Ephron, the writer. She had, I think one of the, her books, or I know one of her phrases she said, but one of her books might've been called this too. Everything is copy, right? Everything for her was like potential for a story. So it's like, everything is transition. Uh, yeah, it's all transition. There's no like resting place. Um, so it's like, okay, I can accept that. My higher power or love also says, you've pulled through so much in your life so far. And especially over the past year, you can pull through these next phases. I have my chosen family. I have so many people who are there for me and who love me. Um, I have so many resources and tools and skills, um, mostly thanks to recovery. I have choices, right? I have choices about how I set up my work life and my household and my family schedule. Um, even you know, practical things like if I start driving more as you know, the conditions change, I can pray for willingness to make other changes to offset our carbon footprint in our house. You know, I can like look for actual practical things. Um, love says there will always be more work opportunities that I can't even see yet. Um, love tells me that my grandfather is loved and he's lived a long and rewarding life and that love and his higher power will take him into these next stages of whatever that is for him. Um, and even something as practical as like having to organize my basement before this remodel, like I heard love say, hey, you can just do it like two hours at a time. Like that's what I've actually been doing, like two hours per week. That's all you got to do. You don't have to do anything crazy. You know, you can just do a little at a time, kind of like doing physical therapy, right? You don't want to do too much at once. You could hurt yourself. You don't want to do too little or you won't make progress. But like, just start a little bit. You can do that. Um, if I, you know, that sense of losing identity from getting rid of things, it's like you are changing and being reborn constantly. You get to recreate yourself and get to know this this new person, this evolving person every day. Um, this quote that was shared with me recently from someone named Rupi Kaur, I will never have this version of me again. Let me slow down and be with her. That comes to mind. Like that's who I am in this moment, right? Um, yeah, I think those are the main things. That's what I hear love say when I bring up some of these fears. So let's take a few minutes now to get in touch with 
the love team and looking over the fears you've identified, what does love say? What does your higher power say in response to these fears? And again, what are the most loving, supportive, patient, and compassionate words that you wish someone else would say to you right now as you're in these fears or when you're identifying these fears or when you feel yourself really in the depth of these fears? We'll take a few minutes. So we'll take about one more minute right now. If you're just joining us, we're doing a little bit of writing about our fears. We're on the question of what does love say in response to these fears? So about one more minute, and then we'll have some sharing time.
Okay, so I'd love to hear from some of you right now. I've been talking a lot and I've this program is about us doing this together. So yeah, I'd love to get some shares just about any of these uh, first two questions, either on literature or any of your writing about fear today and what love says about it. Um, any thoughts about that or any experience, strength or hope? Anything else that's on your heart? I'd love to hear from you. So I think, uh, let's see, Mickey or our other uh, moderators will help identify if you raise hands or do I need to say anything about raising hands right now? Um, no, um, I can do that. Um, okay. Depending on what version of Zoom you have to raise your hand, you're gonna go either to the reactions button and then raise hand or it might still be in the participants panel or participants, if you open participants, it might be down on the right-hand bottom corner to raise your hand. Um, did you wanna time the shares, Stacy? Um, yeah, I guess I can. We'll keep them to like three minutes just to give enough people a chance to share. Okay, right one of our co-hosts is a timer, so you don't okay. need to worry about that. Yeah, Great. So we'll time them for um, three minutes. Um, oh, and did you want me to call on names or would you like to? Yeah, if you could help do that, that would be great. Oh, okay, and did you want to continue screen sharing? Um, I guess we can turn that off for now if that's easier. Oh, okay. Um, so I'll yeah, I'll just stop share. Oh, right okay. Now. Okay, good. Um, so May, uh, go ahead and start. Hi, everybody. May recovering compulsive eater, uh, Stacy. Thank you so much for doing this workshop. Um, I have. I have realized and learned through all the literature and through all the programming that typically every single thing that people have a problem with seems to be based in the fear of something. And when I heard about the workshop, I was like, oh my God, I really have to go. Um, my present fear is about a recurring life theme. And I appreciate what you said about the consistent piece of life is that it's always a transitional process. Um, at this time, I am in a situation where I am deathly afraid of my job because of a particular supervisor who is the leader of three supervisors. So it's always an implied consent situation. So basically I'm afraid to have bad ratings that end up going to the state and affecting my education license all because of the whim of this bullying supervisor I have. And I, and I feel that I'm doing everything possible, praying for her for months, resentment prayer, turning it over to my higher power. Um, right now, I'm, I, I've spoken with human resources, like I've literally begged to her in person um, and uh, begged my supervisor in person because she's being so unrelentingly difficult. And but yet under the contract, you know, she can do what she, you know, she is able to do these things. So, but we know the reality of life and the nuances and the subtle ways that, that supervisors can uh, overuse and abuse their power. 
so right now, so I feel that I've done and I'm doing every single thing that I can um, about this and turning it over and also waiting to see if human resources can help me. So I just wanted to share. Thank you so much. Thank you, May. Uh, next, we have Katie from uh, Central California. Um, I want to really thank, thank you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, because you're the very first person that have, has voiced the COVID transition that has been a something I'm dealing with in my 10-step every single night. And it was just good to hear you say your format was... If I get nothing else for, out from of today than that, um, I am so grateful to you. I'm so grateful to our OA program. I'm so grateful for this workshop. Um, that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Kate. Elise. Thank you, Mickey. My name is Elise and I am a compulsive overeater and powerless over food and many other things in my life today. Um, I'm just going to read what I wrote. Um, I'm losing a friend, a peer, a mentor, a piece of fellowship. We were together in keeping the rooms open here for, for many years and uh, for, our, for our other fellows. I'm grateful that the person has been in my life and has been part of my recovery, powerless over this change. And the other one is that my food addiction will always be bigger than me. I've had only glimpses of being or of feeling the freedom from obsession. Um, as the recovery world opened up to me this year, accessibility um, and um, being in the rooms online, I could uh, see recovery and hear cover recovery everywhere. And what a gift that was and the miracles that were happening in people's lives. Um, I'm powerless over my recovery. I can take some action. A loving God is the leader. And um, for me to open more to my spiritual path, I have, um, I, I know, I wrote, I have never been alone. And then I thought, well, never, I don't really like using the word never. So I've always been loved was uh, what came. And then love says acceptance, powerlessness, breathe feel, grieve. A lot of us have been doing so much grieving this, this year and it just continues. So I know it's affected my life a lot. Um, this too shall pass. Love is a choice. Breathe. Let it sit in my heart. Feel the pain and let it pass. When it feels too painful, give it to God. Wrap myself in a warm blanket and breathe. Pass. Thank you, Elise. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Stacy. Oh, I was just saying thank you to Elise. Go ahead, Mickey. Oh, okay. Um, we have, uh, if you're unable to raise your hand, just chat with me and um, I'll help you out. Uh, we got Cece next. Hi, I'm glad to be here today. And Stacy, um, your education is was such a wonderful tool for you to communicate your experience in recovery today. Um, your eloquence with words, your ability to combine your emotions, your spirit, 
and your practical journey has been really useful in helping me kind of identify things that have not been previously thought about. Um, so thank you very much. And if you've got contact information, um, I would love to, to get that. Um, I really appreciate the part about love instead of being a fear warrior. Uh, what a, a wonderful um, reminder of, oh, okay, you know, instead of fighting the good fight of, um, I've, I've got um, seven days, eight days, nine days abstinence now after relapse and was really frightened that I would not, I would never get abstinent again. Um, and this program, well, I'll read just real quick. I know I've just got a few minutes. Uh, what does love say? There is beauty in the universe, birds, flowers, nature, sky, to soothe and heal me. I do have community, crafting women, OA, neighbors, crafting community, value in the universe, asking for support, pacing strategies, where I can recreate myself daily so I don't have to hold on to the old identities and the old hurt. So thank you very much for sharing that. Okay, pass. Thank you. I'm gonna put my uh, contact information in the chat, by the way, my email and my phone number for anyone who wants to contact me. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Erica T. Good morning. Um, thank you, Stacy, so much for this workshop. You it was really great. Um, when it came time to write, I realized that um, I was I was reluctant to write my fears, and um, and the thoughts that were going through my head. The way I knew I was reluctant was because they were very dismissive. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know about fear. You know, I got that covered. Whatever. And then I was like, well, why don't you want to write about fear? And um, I realized that. I was afraid, just like you said, that if I start writing about the fears, it would just open up this like bottomless pit. But also as I'm just sitting with it even more, I'm realizing when you talked about your fears, it, was, it triggered some stuff for me that I haven't been quite facing yet um, about the, the COVID transition. Um, you know, And my work situation has changed so much that I, you know, and I'm self-employed and I now I have like two offices in two different counties and I moved and I'm like, I don't know how my work life is going to come back together with in-person work. And so um, I have a lot of, just a lot of fear around, am I going to be able to make that transition? Are my clients going to be okay with however I decide I want to make the transition? Because it's a great opportunity to make that decision for myself about how is my work life going to look from here on out um but then there's that fear of oh are my are my clients going to be okay with that too so um i really appreciate you voicing that um because a lot of what i hear from people is you know oh this is so stressful i can't wait till we can go back to more normal um and it was just really important for me this morning to have a voice for that fear of oh yeah and what is that going to look like when we do go back so thank you Thank you, Erica. Uh, is it Tani? Did I pronounce that right, I hope? Hi, it's Tani. Thank Tani, you sorry. for calling me. 
Oh, Stacy, thank you so much for your service today. Um, and then Erica just like said something and it was like when you hear someone else voice their fears, it really does trigger you to kind of go that extra layer deeper in yourself. So being vulnerable, you helped us to get better. So thank you so much, Stacy. Um, yesterday I was doing some, some work with a friend and um, what really came out was, was like backed up by everything you said today that um, what came out yesterday for me was that loss isn't a loss, it's a transition making room for the new. And I really, that has then to hear today as we look at our fears and they're coming from this place of, of trying to control usually for me, um, looking for acceptance, my self-acceptance or acceptance from others outside of myself. Um, and then when we did the writing, it really helped clarify it. hearing your, free, your fear story and then digging up mine a little bit. Love says to me that um, the piece that I think is missing out of me maybe isn't a missing piece. It's an open space for my higher power to come in and do something better. And that was a really powerful like relief. So I think this was an excellent exercise and it has really helped me move forward today. Um, and this, to, this retreat is a reminder that God has placed or my higher power has placed tools and people to help me in my life. And um, he has provided what I need. I just have to reach out and use it. Maybe that's what our tools are in recovery. So thank you so much for your service. Thank you everybody for being here and sharing. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, Lisa D. Good morning. Uh, I woke up this morning and I almost didn't come this morning. Uh, we lost an hour of sleep, but then there was that voice in my head that said, you need to be there this morning. Stacy, thank you so much for what you've done this morning. This has been an amazing workshop so far. Um, I knew when I was working the steps that I was leading a pretty much fear-based life, but I didn't know the extent of my fears until I did that writing exercise about what do I fear today. And as I'm writing everything, I'm realizing that I probably have fear every single day that I didn't even realize. But um, as I went on with the exercise and what does love say, that was so beautifully written and, um, and was able to take my fears that I have and put it in some kind of an order. And also to be able to say to myself, what does love say? And, and to use those words of, of compassion and patience and love. That was a beautiful exercise and I intend to use it every day. Thank you so much, Stacy. Thank you, Lisa. Um, Maribel from Scotland. Hiya, thank you so much for your service, everybody, and for this retreat. Um, it's really special and I deal with fear a lot. And so I'm glad this came up and it's more really anxiety that is always there. And it helped me today really to write it down and not just stick with it, but to, to write it down. 
and one I think that I could write any time, every time, is um, that I, I'm so afraid I mess up my children, because I am so controlling and rigid. And I, I mean, I'm grateful for program, and I'm in program since 2012. <laughs> what has helped a lot, and still this anxiety that I'm a bad mom and that I mess them up is so that is that goes through all my writing it is and what love that's this question what does love say is so beautiful because the first thing that come came was really i'm not god i don't have to be god the kids are loved by god and even messed up children will be loved by god and it just helped so much and I will use this question what love says every day now because there's so much I'm so sad that I constantly are so afraid that these kids that I mess them up with all my defects and especially my controlling so it helped me a lot and I want to just say very much thank you yeah, for this facing this fear and sharing it everybody as well for making this amazing meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Mirabel. I know there's a few others who want to share right now. Um, I'm going to ask that we can pause, uh, maybe put those people in uh, line. I'd like to go through a few other tools and then we can have another sharing session before we're done, if that's okay with everyone. Um, so thank you so much. I love everyone's sharing and everyone's um, participation. I hate to cut us off, but I do want to talk, touch on a couple other things that I hope are going to be helpful to people. Um, okay, and I might have to sort of quickly go through um, a couple faster than I would like to, but I kind of would rather do this um, as sort of quality over quantity, like not necessarily um, spending a lot of time with each of the nine tools, even though they all are important, um, but there's a few in particular that I have found the most directly helpful um, with um, helping me address fear. So I want to spend a little more time on those. Um, so. Uh, sponsorship. I'm going to do a few of these questions together and then we can have some sharing time kind of on all these questions. So sponsorship is another tool. Here's a question that we can ask ourselves. Oh, wait, I don't think I'm sharing my screen. Sorry about that. Hang on here. There uh, we go. Okay, now I have that up again. Everyone can see that. Okay, there we go. Um, do I share my fears honestly and regularly with my sponsor? And if I have any sponsees, what am I afraid to share? So we'll just do a, a couple minutes on this one again. I'm going to move through some of these a little faster than I would like to, um, just because there's a couple more that I want to get into. Um, but yeah, this is a question always to ask. Is there anything I'm holding back from sharing with my sponsor? And what I have learned um, is if I can't share honestly with my sponsor, or my higher power, I should say, and my higher power, there's not a lot of hope for me, right? My sponsor is there as a part of my higher power. That's how I view my sponsors, like part of this network of my higher power. Um, and I'm really blocking myself from recovery if I can't share honestly with my sponsor. So that might get me to look at like, is it something with the sponsor relationship that I need to look at? You know, not every sponsor we get to change sponsors because sometimes things aren't working there. Um, that can be a factor too. Is it something within me that I need to, to look at and become more willing to, to share with my sponsor about? Uh, one thing I really appreciate 
with uh, appreciate about my sponsor is that she models her own fears. You know, she's not like this wall that's like it's just a one way relationship where I just share my fears and she seems to have all the answers. It is definitely not that. I get to see her walk through her fears regularly. So I get uh, a model for doing that. And I, then I know I get a model for seeing that it's okay to share my, my fears and my vulnerability. So that's um, one question to consider there. And if there are any fears that we're holding on to, you know, just what are those? What, what is around those fears that we're afraid to share? And some of it might just be praying for willingness, you know, to, to start sharing some of these. It's not like we can force ourselves to do that, but starting to pray for willingness. So again, the question is, do I share my fears honestly and regularly with my sponsor and sponsees? And what am I afraid to share? And then I'll also say that I have one sponsee right now and I share my fears with her. You know, again, I know like being a model of like, I don't have it all together as a sponsor like that. That does not exist. Um, seeing how, how sponsors work through life, you know, and the fears that just keep coming in life. And as we were talking about, like the transitions that just keep going in life all the time, that's what, what actually helps me live a life in recovery, not pretending like there's some graduation point, right? Or some ending point. So it's really important for me to be vulnerable with my sponsee um, as well. And let's see, okay, um, let me go ahead. I'm gonna advance here. Okay, uh, meetings as another tool, right? This is another way of sharing our fears. How many meetings do I attend each week? What fears do I need to share at group level? Okay, so how many meetings do I attend each week? And what fears do I need to share at group level? So if we're working all these tools, right? If we have all these aspects of our program, I have certain fears that I share with my sponsor that I would not share at group level at a meeting. You know, it wouldn't be appropriate. Some things are just like more personal or I go into more detail with my sponsor. Um, but it still is helpful to have that more general level that I share, you know, with a more wi a wider population in recovery. You know, again, that's just like one part of the network. So it helps me identify like, well, what do I need to share? at group level. Um, I found a few months ago, I was really struggling, um, and I'll get into some discussion around this with some depression and anxiety getting worse again, needing to address that with outside help. And I needed to share at group level that I like wasn't going to pretend like I was doing better than I was at the time. You know, I wasn't going to try to be this like, hey, I'm this, you know, rock star of recovery, you know, person, I can only share experience, strength and hope, and I can't ever let you know that I'm struggling it, you know, I had to identify like, it's important for me to share at group level, just some things that I'm struggling with right now. Um, and my sponsor likes to say that uh, three meetings are a minimum per week for maintenance and four for recovery. I think that's a, a helpful mark. And she's really worked with me being a parent of young kids, you know, that can be really hard even virtually to attend meetings. Um, so I do it, you know, creatively. I call into phone meetings in the morning where, you know, it's very imperfect. I just have like one earbud in and I'm just listening to the meeting, but it still counts. You know, I have a couple per week that I'm, I sign on to where people can actually see my face like this through Zoom that are local Portland meetings, like people that I've met in person. And so there's a different connection there. Like they know I'm a real person that they've seen before in a room. Um, so I try to commit to at least one of those, if not two per week. Um, and then in a pinch, I'll listen to a podcast and that still, that will count as a meeting um, because sometimes my week just gets crazy, but I'm still like, I'm, I'm getting recovery into my ears and I'm listening to a recorded uh, podcast meeting. So those are part of some of my commitments. 
uh, just to keep, you know, keep the fears sharing kind of fresh where I'm not like holding on to fears and kind of hoarding them. And then, you know, they come bursting out because I'm not sharing regularly. All right, the next one, again, this is all part of the network, uh, telephone. So how do I use the phone so I'm not alone with my fears? And uh, related questions, am I afraid of using the phone? And what am I willing to try if I am afraid of using the phone or if I, I know that I don't really use it as much as I could? So I've been taught that God's favorite instrument is people. Right. My sponsor has this joke where, you know, we can be sitting here going like, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to really get close to God right now. And then our phone rings, you know, and especially if it's someone from program, it's like, stop calling me. I'm trying to pray right now. I'm trying to be I'm trying to get closer to God. It's like God is calling you right now. God is working through someone else right now who's trying to call you and connect to you. So. Oh, I think somebody's unmuted. Um so that's how I've learned to use the, the phone. It's just another part of that network. And that's been another assignment, I think I mentioned earlier, for my sponsor that I was not happy about for <laughs> some time, um, where I'm required to call at least one other person and have like a live conversation, um, at least one per week, um, or it can be an, an in-person conversation if that's possible. Um, and I have to be checking in uh, pretty much daily or like I'd say close to every day. Sometimes, you know, I won't get it every day, but I'm sending like a voice memo check-in. So I'm very, um, what do I want to say? Uh, very, there's a lot of different ways that I use the phone. So it's calls, it's texts. I'll record voice memos in the little recording um, app and then I can send, you know, longer ones. I'll call someone's voicemail and I'll just talk until their voicemail cuts me off. <laughs> you know, um, it's like use the phone and all of its tools. Our phones do more things than they've ever done before in history. So like use all that. Um, and so I have, yeah, re certain requirements that I have to hit that my sponsor has given me. And I've, I've started to see the gifts of it. I used to be a person, I was one of those people like terrified of answering the phone, of picking up the phone. I'd be calling and being like, please don't answer, please don't answer, you know? Um, and now I still have a, a few moments like that here and there. Uh, but most of the time it's like, I wanna talk to this person. Like I wanna connect. I, that fear has diminished just because I've been forced to practice it. And I like, I'm just in practice of like sharing so much that it's so automatic for me now. Um, so I'm so grateful that I've been required to practice doing that. Um, so that is uh, telephone. Let me go on to anonymity. I just want to touch on And again. I don't want to diminish any of these tools, but I do. Um, there's a couple that are important. I want to get in before our time's up. Um, anonymity is just a general question. How do I practice anonymity and how does it help me? I just want to mention it's one of those that works for me like really quietly in the background because it's like you don't notice it unless it's not working, right? Where it's like most of the time anonymity is being practiced and it's like, oh, I felt so secure sharing my fears in that meeting because I know no one's going to go like talking about me you know, later, like that's how anonymity works. You know, when we say what you hear here, let it stay here, you know, that's like, okay, we're not going around gossiping about each other or being like, oh, did you hear what so-and-so shared about, you know, that crazy fear that they have, you know, it's like, okay. So when I practice anonymity, I'm committed to not sharing other people's confidential fears. I know that mine won't be shared. So then it takes that shame and judgment out of sharing fear. And I really need that. I need to know I'm safe to share my fears. Um, okay, so that's just a general question there. And then service. Um, so this is another practice that just doing basic actions have helped me get out of fear. So here's some questions about service. 
How am I being service? How am I being of service and program? What fears do I have about service? And how does service free me from fear? So, you know, I don't, I think we need to really give ourselves credit for any amount of service that we do. I know for me in the beginning, anything I did, you know, even just like, it was like helping just to set up the literature, you know, um, it was doing, you know, it was like unlocking the door at the beginning of the meeting, you know, it was like basic little actions, but I didn't know how to show up for a group really before that. So, you know, those little acts of service have accumulated over time. And I've learned to do things like, you know, speak at a workshop, which if you had told me I was going to do this when I first started program, I would have run away screaming in fear, you know? So like all these things have trained me, you know, they trained me over time to show up for a program that I know is saving my life and um, help me just address like, yeah, I'm feeling fear about doing this service, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to walk with fear through it. And it also just gets me out of my fear and my, my self-centered fear, right? Um, that's another gift of service. So it's, again, that idea that I get to practice new things in the face of fear. And if love is the opposite of fear, then, you know, love in action is service, right? That keeps me out of self-centered fear. So I, you know, as I'm sitting here sharing with all of you, I know I'm talking a lot about myself this morning, but it is getting me out of, you know, self-centered fears, Um that I otherwise would be like obsessing about, you know, maybe by myself where just getting out of self, you know, working with others, it truly is um, a, a path to freedom from fear, even just, you know, temporarily. So just thinking about, again, how are we being of service? What fears do we have? And when we do notice that we're able to participate in service, how does that free us from fear? Okay, the last two, yeah, I hope I'm not rushing too much, but I do want to touch on each one. So the last two are a little more concrete, and I did want to really make sure we got time for these because I have noticed them really helping me, especially in these last months when I've had some kind of renewed fears I've had to address. So a plan of eating, I'm going to talk a little bit about how my plan of eating has specifically helped me address fear and anxiety. So here's the questions for a plan of eating. Does my food plan help me manage fear in my body and mind? And am I willing to share my daily food with others? Okay, so again, the questions are, does my food plan help me manage fear in my body and mind? And am I willing to share my daily food with others? So some things about food plan. I'm not gonna go into like, you know, a lot of detail here. That's something you can work on with your sponsor, but at its most basic level, you know, I identify my green, yellow, and red light foods. Some of the, they change sometimes, you know, I have to be paying attention to like, ooh, that's gotta be moved to the red category right now because it's not working for me. Um, when I, when the pandemic first started, I was in a really heightened state. This is where I was talking about earlier, like this was like chaotic, compulsive activity, restricting. And I realized like two out of my three meals every day, I wasn't sitting down. And I used the excuse like, well, I'm taking care of my kids and you know, everything's on the move. And yes, there was some chaos, but like my disease was turning it into, I should say the disease. I don't like to say my disease. The disease was turning it into something else. So I had to start committing to sitting down to at least two out of three meals every day, which was so hard for me in the beginning. I couldn't stand it. Um, and now it just feels natural. It's like, okay, I had to like train myself into doing that, like slowing down um, again to do that. So that's part of my food plan. I have to sit down for at least two out of three meals. Um, I have to watch out for physical anxiety triggers, um, sugar. I There's a small amount of sugar I can tolerate, um, but I really have to like 
keep that within certain limits because that can spiral out um, and definitely trigger anxiety. So that's a specific area. And then caffeine is another area that I've had to really do some work on and um, do some, just pray for some willingness to make some changes because I was just sort of blindly continuing to drink caffeine, even though I had like really high anxiety. And it's like, do you really need this much caffeine? Like, I don't think this is actually helping you. I was making my anxiety worse and I had to really just do some work around being able to put at least some of it down. So that's something I have to really keep an eye on today um, that I keep my caffeine levels within a certain range. Um, because that keeps my fear response, you know, at a more kind of grounded level. And then other triggers of emotional anxiety for me are both over and under eating. Like my abstinence, I try to keep it general, is, you know, no binging and no starving. And there's, of course, room in between that to get weird. Um, but like, so if I'm eating amounts that really are the middle of the road and work for me, it doesn't trigger my like anxiety of like, oh my God, I ate too much. And now I'm going to, you know, be in fear about that or, oh, I ate too little. And I've, you know, got that sort of like free floating anxiety that can be uh, related to restricting going on. So really being in that middle place um, helps me. And I share my food every day with a daily food report group. Uh, my sponsor is part of that group along with some other fellows and just committing. That is one of the most powerful tools, the one of the most simple and yet most powerful tools for me, because I realized it's been such a journey in fear um, where it's like, I don't want to report my food to other people. They might see it and be like, what a weirdo, you know, <laughs> and all these fears I had about, you know, what people would think of my food and, but doing it with other people where I see their food too. I see my sponsor's food. I see that like her food isn't perfect all the time. Hers goes through cycles, you know, different struggles. Mine does, but I'm committed to sharing it, you know, pretty much every day. I rarely miss a day where it's like, no matter what, I'm going to have to report this food. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to like, take a compulsive bite of something or even, you know, drink an extra cup of caffeinated beverage, be like, I'm gonna have to put this on my food report. And I don't want to do that. You know, so it's like a, it's a, a protective way through the, the connection with the group that helps me stay on the beam with a plan of eating that actually works for me. Um, so that daily food report, yeah, it really takes the fear out. It takes the judgment out, but I've had to, oh, that's only worked just by doing it. Um, I just had to like keep having the faith, like just keep reporting it. Like no one's going to kick you out. No one's going to say that, you know, they don't like you anymore. Your food is like too weird. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody has weird food. That's why we're in this program. So that has been a really, really helpful tool, um, with just keeping me honest about my plan of eating. Okay, so I'm going to go straight into our last tool, and then we'll hopefully have a little bit of time for sharing before we our time is up here. Um, so this is kind of like, this has a lot of pieces to this last tool, <clears throat> and so I'll try to talk about each one. Action plan. So these are like my daily commitments that help keep me out of, I wouldn't say out of fear, but help me manage fear. So I have been, this is a lot of requirements from my sponsor. I do the third step prayer every day. Ideally in the morning, there's plenty of days. Again, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, like life is chaotic around here. And you hopefully have haven't heard too much screaming. My kids are upstairs. Um, where sometimes my, I don't get in the prayer till like, as I'm going to sleep, I'll remember like, oh, I never got in my prayer. And I'll do it like literally as I'm sitting there in bed, but I'm like, hey, it still counts. I'm connecting to my higher power. Um, so I, I get in the third step prayer every day. My version of the third step prayer, that's especially around fear, I'll read to you. Um, is I offer my fear to you to take it and do with it as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of fear that I, better, that I may better do your will of acting out of love. 
take away my difficulties, in other words, fears, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of your power, your love, and your way of life. May I do your will by turning away from fear and toward your love always. So it's just like a slight variation on the third step prayer that helps me speak more directly to fear. You know, it helps me turn away from my default of fear. I still very much have a default of fear. You know, sometimes I wake up, my first thought is still like, uh, um, you know, something that I'm fearful about that day. And so I just like redirect, redirect. Um, so third step prayer, maybe doing a meditation. That's like a bonus for me. You know, if I can get both like, whoo, that's a banner day. But yeah, uh, even if, again, I do this very imperfectly, I might listen to a meditation like with one earbud in while I'm like making my kids breakfast or, you know, doing whatever else with them. I'm still getting some of that input. And so it helps. Um, so I do it in whatever way I can get it. If I, I used to have this idea, like I need to be sitting in some quiet meditation room, you know, with chanting or, you know, singing bowls in the background and, you know, sitting on a perfect like meditation pillow. It's like, it's not going to happen. So I do a very imperfect meditation when I can get it. Um, outside help. I've mentioned this um, already. I have had to address, you know, some of my, my chronic anxiety and depression through medication, um, through th other types of therapy. And I am so grateful. So program is part of that. It is a big part of it, but I can't expect like just the steps to, help alleviate that for me. I've tried it at different times and I've suffered needlessly um, where it's like, I heard the story about Bill W um, who he just, he struggled with depression for years, you know, in sobriety. And someone said like, oh, you know, who's that guy over there? Oh, that, that guy crying, like, oh, that's the founder of AA, <laughs> you know, like he really struggled. It's like, I'm not Bill W in the 1950s. Like there's way more tools and way more outside help that I can use to supplement along with recovery. Like it does not replace recovery by any means, but these things work together. And I've had to do a lot of work around like accepting that's part of my wiring, you know, brain chemistry, all those things. Um, but medication has really helped like level off some of those like really, um, intense aspects of fear um, that are related to that. So that's one piece. Um, movement, yeah, what I call sort of like body care, it's like getting out of the command center of the head, right? Again, fear, like fear loves to like try to jump in the driver's seat and be like, all right, and like all about the mind controlling everything. Um, getting in, and for me, since I have exercise bulimia history, you know, it's got, it needs to be something just reasonable, something where I'm like, uh, ideally outside in nature, you know, just breathing in the fresh air. I can feel my body out there. I'm just walking, I'm moving, I'm maybe dancing with my kids, you know, something that gets me out of just being in my head um, because fear really thrives there when I'm just in my head all the time. So some type of just like helpful healing movement. It does not have to be anything prescribed or anything about losing weight, just moving the body. Um, I put play on here too. And I, this is something that I've realized, especially having kids, you know, and that can look different for everybody. I just get play in my day. Cause I'm with a three-year-old and a five-year-old all the time. You know, we end up just doing really goofy things. We have like goofy dance parties. I end up playing with like toys that, you know, I would not be otherwise playing with, but you know, my kids are wanting to play with, you know, we're telling silly jokes. Like that's another part that gets me out of that control, you know, command center where it's just, just being in joy in the moment. So looking for those opportunities in the day um, is really important. I put pauses on here, um, you know, sort of the sacred, pa sacred pause that people talk about. So I drink a lot of tea, like a crazy amount of tea. And my one of my friends in, in the rooms has said, it's like having tea with her higher power. Um, I often like 
especially when I'm starting like getting onto a work meeting or, you know, in a transition of my day, that's just like, oh, it's so painful. I mean, on a daily basis, transitioning from, I watch my kids generally in the morning and then I have my professional work in the afternoon and just that transition, there's something about it that it's like, okay, it's like, I know it's coming. I do it all the time and it's still painful. And so I sit and I make this big cup of tea that is like, I sit there and I drink it as I'm transitioning into, you know, that part of the different part of my day. And it just helps. There's something about it. It's this like healthy thing I can do. That's very comforting to me. Um, so finding whatever that is I need to do in the pause. And I often just text people too. I'm like, Hey, I am, you know, I'm having to like get on this work meeting or I just like got finished with my kids, like being really crazy and screaming and now I have to get myself together to like start teaching a class and I just tell people that's what's going on I'm like this is super uncomfortable you know and I'm feeling kind of afraid to do it I don't want to do it and I just hear you know I get back somebody saying like I'm here I hear you um so I just incorporate that into the pause as well you know I use all I use all the other tools in this action plan um I also put hang on I'm gonna move to move this because I can't see there we go. Uh, media abstinence, that has been super important, especially over the last year. You know, there's been a lot of stressful information coming at us. Of course, some information is helpful to some degree, just like some amount of fear can be helpful. Um, but I've had to really put limits around like the information coming in. I just have a very sensitive nature. Um, it's really hard for me to filter out disturbing things. So I've had to be, I've had to treat it like um, abstinence from my red light foods where it's just like, I can't even have that first compulsive, like, look, you know, at what, a, you know, a, a piece of uh, a news story that day or other days I have my husband just like check the news for me and like filter out to me if there's anything he feels like I need to know. Um, it really has helped not like keep the fear meter down again. If like, there's so much coming in and I just can't process all of it. It's like the fear meter just goes like haywire. But if I can keep that like just a you know reasonable amount of information that I can process as it's coming in, then I can deal with fear a lot more easily. Um, let's see. And then, and again, yeah, and it's about like staying on the love team, right? I think some media, unfortunately, is all about the fear team. It's like it can be an industry based on like hooking us, you know, through fear. And then like one, it's like one compul compulsive little view turns into like panic scrolling. And it's just like, okay, I need to you know, again, accept my sort of special needs around this and take a step back. And then the last thing, I didn't use the term self-care here on purpose because I feel like it's a little overused and it becomes kind of generic. Um, I put healthy comforts, that's how I view it. Um, I need things that, you know, again, are like literally a blanket sometimes, you know, I've used different parts of the disease and control as a security blanket, but sometimes I literally like need a blanket. I'll do that at the end of my day. I wrap myself up into a blanket I get to watch some TV that's just kind of fun. And it's like a way of just, you know, containing my day and I can sit there in a safe place, you know? So I get to have those little parts of my day that are just like a healthy thing that's not comforting myself with food. It's like making it to the next dock, right? I might be out there like swimming, swimming through fear all day. And then I just like make it to the next dock and I get to rest there. Um, you know, I'll light a candle that smells really good and just sit there and look at the light and think about how that's like, a power greater than me, you know, the power of this fire that's flickering there that has that energy. Um, you know, I'll watch some funny videos just to take my mind, you know, off of something that's um, keeping me in fear. Um, you know, putting on some cozy socks, you know, it can be any, any little thing. It's like a substitute for like what I used to spend on food, you know, I'll like buy some little things or just incorporate some little things that are just like, ah, oh, this is just like a moment to just let go um, and put some of that fear aside. 
So I think, yeah, I think that's my last one. We have a few minutes left. Um, I wanna give a few, a little more opportunity for sharing here at the end. And I'll just finish by saying, I don't work, you know, all of these tools every day, but I work them all regularly where their effect becomes sort of greater than the sum of their parts. You know, it's sort of like a medicine that accumulates in my body, mind, and spirit. So it's like I have this cumulative kind of resilience, you know, built up in my system when I do face fear, um, where I've got all this here to help me. Um, and again, it's like, I don't, I can't always change the conditions of fear, but I can create a path out of the confusion and chaos into some type of like clarity and serenity through these things. Um, so I'll just end with, if you're new, keep coming back, keep showing up and trying these tools. Um, I'm here and my recovery is the gift of my life because as I've heard people say, I have smart feet and I just keep coming back. And so don't quit before the miracle. I'm so grateful to be here with all of you today. It truly is a gift. Um, so yeah, let's have, let's make time for a few more shares here. I think I see Nancy. Nancy, do you want to go ahead and share? Um, actually, before we do that, we, um, we have one more hour. So um, the last hour is reserved for sharing. Oh, it's sharing. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, Stacy. That was amazing. Uh, what I'd like us to do is to take about a five minute break. That sounds and great. then when we come back, the floor will be open for shares. Okay. So we'll have you plenty can... of time for everyone to, Good. to share. Okay. Thank you so, so much. All right. I'm going to take a bathroom break myself and then I'll see you all back here in a few. Okay. Thank you. for if fears come true I had a fear come true last year so I fear the same now mm. it's just um is the answer just it's what your HP wanted so maybe you want to address that question after we've had the other two share that um or is it two hands are up so maybe after that okay yeah if you don't want to just remind me of that question I can do it after the shares sure and are we ready for shares or are we still waiting I think we're ready. Um, okay. Was Cindy calling? first? Yes, Cindy is first. Okay. Yes. Thank you for waiting, Cindy. Go ahead. Yeah, that was nice of you. No problem. Hi, I'm Cindy, a compulsive reader, recovering anorexic. Uh, thank you so much for uh, your lead. And um, yeah, um, I'm on six and seven right now, and uh, fear is definitely tied for numero uno among a couple of them that I have. Uh, I have more than a couple of them, but a couple of them are tied for numero uno is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, um, and uh, sometimes I have a problem when the fear is program related. Like um, I told my sponsor 
that I was afraid that the ninth step I did nine years ago, I didn't do it right. And I better do it. I better do it again or else I'll relapse. Right. And she was like, well, what did you do nine years ago? And I told her, and then basically I had a couple of different sponsors that said what I did nine years ago was not the, 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 uh, the amends I made was fine. And, and I'm like, yeah, but if my brain won't let me go thinking that it, I deserve to relapse because I didn't do it right, then I'm going to have to do it again anyway. So that's the only way I'm going to let my, my brain's going to let me go. And then I'm like, wait a minute, then it's running the show and it has nothing to do with higher power at all. It just has to do with like me running, a, being afraid and then using program as the, as the, um, um, like the, like the paper is still there, but the contents of the paper just changed. And the disease thinks that making it a program related fear makes it okay. And it makes it good. So, um, it, cause I've, I've tried to do stuff before where I've tried to do good program stuff, but solo, like from my brain solo without checking it out. And it doesn't work so well, even though it's like for a good cause or whatever. And, um, and yeah, I don't, I don't think higher power wants me to be running around scared that if I do the wrong kind of step nine, I don't mean that I hurt them because I didn't, but didn't do it in the right order. Or I didn't do it in person and I should have done it, whatever, um, that uh, like he's going to get me or that if he doesn't, my brain will. It's like, that doesn't sound like step nine. That sounds like something else. And, um, and you know, my fear is, oh, well, those sponsors are too nice to me and they're gonna, they're just enabling me and I better, I better go off solo and do something tough. And, uh, and it's like, wait a minute, going off solo is the whole problem. So um, anyway, um, so I'm asking my higher power for help and trying to not let fear run the show and pretend that I can't work the steps without fear, which isn't true. Um, so thanks for letting me share uh, and I pass. Thank you. Uh, now Thank we you have Carrie from um, Carrie from Wisconsin. Hi. I just want to say that I really liked what you have to say. It really hit home with me so much of it, and I was wondering if you could somehow get me a copy of the Third Step Fear Prayer. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um... I don't know what would work best. Maybe the host can help us out here. I can share my contact information if anyone wants to Did contact you share me for that. I can, I'll post it in the chat again. Okay, I have it already then. I just wanted to make sure that was you. So maybe yeah. if I email you or text you, then you can send it to me? Sure, yeah, I'd love to. Okay, because I really liked it. Um, it's a better third step prayer than the one in the big book that I like, that I don't like the way it's worded. So I like yours better for me. And uh, that's all I really wanted to say. <laughs> I really enjoyed what you had to say. And I like all the questions. I wrote them down. I wasn't able to write about them because I was writing something else. But I'm going to write at them at a future date. So because they'll really Great. help me. Out. I, re I really related to a lot of what you had to say, especially your story and your fear based you know, being fear based that way. So I'm glad you shared. It was an excellent workshop. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Yeah, I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, we don't have any hands up yet, so I'm going to go back to that question, if that's okay. Yeah, what was the question again? The question was asked, can I ask what um, our recommendations if uh, for if fears come true? I had a fear come true last year, and I so fear the same now. Is the answer just, it's what HP wanted? Mm. Wow, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, 
What comes to mind for me on that, and especially I think this last year, I know for me has like a lot of fears came true. Um, you know, a lot of things where it just kind of kept going. Um, and I know everybody's different with like what fears sort of have come true for them. Um, but it's, you know, it was like, oh, the pandemic was already raging, you know, schools were closed, life was, you know, totally different. Our overdue reckoning on racial justice was, especially in Portland, there was particular events that were really intense here. And then devastating wildfires, you know, blew through Oregon. Um, it was just like one thing after another um, that was, it was almost unbelievable, you know, some days. Um, so as far as like fears coming true, you know, there was a lot of fears that like came true as far as like, can this get any worse? Um, yes, unfortunately the answer was yes on a lot of things. Um, for me, I view, my view of higher power again, because I believe that humans have free will and that's what makes things complicated. Um, it, it is tricky because it's like, God is everything or God is nothing, right? That's what we learn in program. I do believe that, um, but I believe that God also gave us free will, right? So I don't believe that God is there being like, well, I'm going to do this to this person and do that to that person, you know, or like punish that person. I don't know why things happen. That part, I, I really don't know. I think that's part of the great mystery. I don't know, you know, as far as like how God might be directing that or not, but I do know that God, and again, as I identify God as love, I do know that is what helps me face whatever happens. Um, I do know that like God is love and love is what can help me walk through when my fears do come true. Um, again, keeping that in mind that like love is the opposite of fear. So if I can bring in as much love as I can, and that can be in a lot of different forms, right? It can be through all the connection that I have with different people. That's what I've been required to do here in program, you know, it's like connect, connect, connect. That's my sponsor's actual like keyword um, here. I'm going to show you a really quick visual people can see it. Um, some people in my uh, sponsee group that we all have the same sponsor, um, some of them, uh, they do sign language, they speak ASL, and then this is the sign for connect. So putting to a finger, like circles of fingers together like that. So like, this is sort of like our unofficial symbol um, on our love team with my sponsor. And so it's like, okay, when I'm in fear, what do you do? You connect. And again, like these other people or these other things can't change my reality necessarily. They can't change my fear from having come true, but they can help me walk through it. And that's the choice that I do have. I don't have power over whether these fears come true. Like going back to my core fear that I shared where it's like, I am going to lose everything and everyone I care about. That is true because I'm gonna die someday, right? So I'm gonna be gradually losing like my body or suddenly, who knows, right? I'm gonna be losing people either before I, I go, they're gonna go, you know, like that is a reality. So how do I deal with that? I can't change that, that fact. Like that is a painful reality that literally keeps me up at night. So how do I in, bring in enough love to help me live in that reality? Because believe me, especially having kids too, that is like, does this have to be true? Do we seriously have to lose everything that we love and, you know, our lives? Like, why does that have to be true? I've like actually sat there like pleading with God before. Like, I understand now why all those movies, science fiction movies with people that are trying to find like eternal youth. I get that now because it's like the prospect of, of losing all of this is just unbelievably painful. 
And, but this is, these are the terms, right? This is life on life's terms. So I've got to find a way to walk through that and to do it with love. And that's the way that helps me do it. It doesn't mean I'm still not in pain. It doesn't mean it's still not scary, but I can walk through it with love. And that does give me some type of, of strength and insanity and clarity and some degree of serenity. So I hope that helps in some way. Uh, we currently don't have any um, hands up. There's another question in the chat. Um, I think it's a question. Any suggestions on? Yeah. Um, can you read? Can you see the chat, or would you like for me to read it to you? Stacey? Oh, uh, yeah. Let me pull it up. Hang on. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see. Wait. Can you give me the? Is it okay to say the name of the person with the question? Okay. Um, actually, I'll just read it to you. Is that okay? okay? I'm okay. trying to I'm trying to scroll back and I want to make sure I'm finding the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah there's a lot in chat now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm on day 27 of no purging, but finding it very hard to eat because I'm not purging. Food is a huge fear for me. I keep turning it over, but I'm getting the high, the high mm -hmm. um, from starving. Any suggestions on the fear of food? Oh, I'm um, anorexic, bulimic in a compulsive overeater in Northern California. Thank you everyone for so much for your service. Great question. Um, yes, I have experienced this myself because I have very, there's various aspects of the disease that come up for me, the overeating part, the yeah, exercise bulimia or kind of other form attempts at bulimia um, and then anorexia and, and restricting um, yeah, I've learned like this is just all part of the process for me. So uh, um, going back to the tools, right, plan of eating. So that's where originally when I started doing my food report, this was, I think, after I had my first child and I had actually a relapse with sugar and with overeating then. Um, and that was a little over like four, four and a half years ago, something like that. Um, and so I was using the food report group to like not overeat on sugar and just not overeat in general. So like, I'm going to be accountable for my food over that time. I've been sharing my food that whole time over years. Then I started getting into restricting and I had to continue the food report, but in a different way to make sure I was reporting like, Hey, am I eating three meals? Um, you know, or did these meals look like, uh, like what would most people would consider a healthy meal or is it, you know, something that I'm like claiming to be a meal that's not really. So I just keep doing it. I keep do, practicing the tool of reporting my food, no matter what's happening with my food, whether I'm going through a period of more overeating, whether I'm going through a period of undereating. Um, I just shared something on it the other day about some anxieties around certain types of food that I was having. So I can share some of that stuff in addition to like just the actual food I'm eating. Sometimes I'll say like, hey, I'm having some, you know, anxieties about this or that. And just having other people hear it. They're like, okay, yeah. So I just keep trusting the process and I keep using that tool and it does shift over time for me. Again, my journey has been very like one little thing will shift, something else will shift. I'll let go of another little thing as, you know, something else changes. So I keep trusting that. And I just keep being honest about it. You know, my, my sponsor has walked with me through the last year. Like she had a talk with me right before the pandemic hit of like, you're losing too much weight. I know you've been like losing weight after your second child, but now it's getting like uh, too much. And I was like, oh, uh, like I realized it all hit me that like how much the disease had like jumped in and I was back in anorexia. And I never thought after the years of overeating that I'd struggle with and extra weight, it was like, seriously, what? And I am not like 
And my thought was like, I'm not too thin. I'd have to be like way thinner to be considered, you know, anorexic, all these things. And I really had to address like the denial that was going on and the control that I was trying to um, include in my life. And so over the past year, my sponsor has walked with me through that. And I do a weekly weight check with her. I'm still doing it. Um, or I don't know what my weight is, but she like records it and monitors for me. And she'll tell me like, she won't, you know, tell me really whether I'm up or down, but like looking stable or like, I don't like where your weight is, meaning like it's, you know, trended down. So like, that's where I've just turned that over to. I'm just willing to keep using that tool. Part of me is like, seriously, I have to keep having someone else weigh me at 42, but you know, that's like, whatever, you know, going to any lengths, right, whatever it takes. So, and I've seen that shift over the past year, I have like felt the, the grip of anorexia and high of restricting and all that start to loosen just by doing these, working these tools. So that's what I can offer is like, trust the process, keep working the tools, keep coming back. It does shift over time, at least in my experience. Thank you. I don't see any hands and I don't, oh, I have a question. Um, I feel like a radio announcer. Oh, a new call coming in. <laughs> um, questions. Some examples of other negative emotions, uh, um, i.e. call, anger, hatred, envy. Describe how, oops, I got a reminder, sorry. Um, describe how underlying is real fear. Okay, let me make sure I'm understanding that. Um, so it's like, identifying the negative negative emotions and how fear is actually underneath those negative emotions yeah um some uh, examples of other of other um negative other negative emotions i.e call anger hatred envy mm. describe how underlying is really fear mm. yeah yes. okay. okay yeah i'll try to interpret that um yeah so i've I've been able to discover those through the fourth step, of course, like, you know, doing the initial sort of resentments inventory. And that's kind of like surface level for me. You know, that's where a lot of like things I'm just like angry or frustrated or resentful about. And so working through all that and then moving on to the fear inventory, because often in the resentments inventory, I can see like, oh, there's something underneath that resentment. Right. Um, I, so like, here's another one that came up for me the other day. I was feeling resentment against my father-in-law because I overheard him having a conversation with my husband, expressing some views that I just like very much don't agree with, um, that I judge as ignorant and all these other things. And, you know, I'm sitting there spinning on all this, like, why does he have to think this way, you know, and getting to that. And I always have to ask, like, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? You know, because again, anytime it's like a, it's just like a clue right? Um, sort of, it's almost like a, what analogy do I want to use? Sort of like a magnet, right? Where it's like, okay, if I'm scanning this and it's like going towards that anger, there's, there's fear underneath it. Um, or it's like one of those, um, what are they called? Divining rods that people use to like look for, you know, metal objects that are buried <laughs> where it's like, beep, beep, beep. Oh, there's fear under here. Um, so yeah, it's like, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid that enough people share the same ignorant view that he has, that we won't be able to move the world toward justice in a way that I think we should move. Like that's the way I'm gonna describe it to, to speak in general terms, um, keeping politics out of here. You know, it's like, I'm just afraid that we're not gonna be able to create the world that I think will, you know, be the most just and beautiful world that it can be for as many people as possible. 
um, because I'm afraid of those viewpoints that he has. And I'm afraid of like, you know, just what that might mean. So even just going, you know, to that point, yeah, other ones, it can look different. I might have to pause and kind of, you know, dilate on each one. Oh, if I'm, I'm envious of someone, right. That usually means I'm afraid I'm not enough, right. I'm envious of what they have. So that I'm afraid that like, I don't measure up with how I, you know, whatever way I'm comparing myself to this person. Um, you know, that's how I view envy. I think I heard uh, hatred was another one. Yeah, to me, hatred is just a more sort of extreme version of, of resentment. And I felt that way too. You know, hatred about certain ideas or even certain groups of people, I have to admit. And it's like, well, why? Fear is always under hatred. Um, it makes me think of those lines from, is it Yoda that says it from Star Wars, you know, where it's like, uh, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hatred. Hatred leads to suffering. I might not have that right. It's from one of the, one of the original Star Wars. It's like, yeah. Um, so hatred is just like festering fear, right? Um, because we don't really know, again, for me, I don't know how to address the vulnerability of the fear that I'm in. So I just want to like turn it outward. Um, so yeah, that's kind of looking back. It's like, how can I turn the mirror back on myself when I think I'm like hating something outside myself or even hating something about myself? But it's like, what am I afraid of here? What am I afraid of? Just even asking that simple question, what am I afraid of? And it's usually something, you know, tied to I'm not enough or I'm too much, right? Those are like the two sides of shame. I'm not enough or I'm too much. Um, yeah, I'm just not good enough the way I am. People are going to reject me, you know? And again, it always boils down to that ultimate existential fear. I'm going to lose everything and everyone I care about, you know? Um, I laugh just because it's like, it's so predictable for me now that I've been like working through these fears. I pretty much know how they're connected. Uh, so I hope that helps, you know, it's just like asking, what am I afraid of whenever those other emotions come up? Because then I can start to kind of track down into what's underneath it. Um, I just wanted to announce it's open sharing now. So, oh, Alice has her end up. All you need to do is uh, raise your hand. And, um, oh, that last question, the person said to say thank you to you. Thank you. Yeah, she appreciated your response. So it's open sharing. Um, if you have a question that you don't want to actually ask, you can chat it to me, or you can just go ahead and raise your hand and ask it. Um, Alice E. Hi, I'm Alice Kabulsov Overeater from the Portland area. Stacy, this was wonderful, and um, I, no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. So, <laughs> so anyway, right off the bat, um, I was like right on board. Um, because like literature and writing are big for me. I mean, the other, I, like you said, I use all of them, you know, depending, but, um, so I just wanted to show you, this is what I wrote on the fears for today. That's just today's fears. So I can totally relate to, um, being a person. Um, my kids tease me, my kids are adults, mm -hmm. tease me about being a worry award, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but I love this pattern of looking at, you know, what do I fear today and why, and then turning it, you know, around, um, you know, one of my fears that, and it come, cro crops up um, many times is my body's falling apart. You know, mm -hmm. where is it going to stop? What am I going to end up being? You know, am I going to be a burden to my family? Am I, you know, um, and, you know, and it's just a fear of like not being able to do what I want to do because there are already as things I am no longer able to do. And it can really piss me off. 
Um, but just like turning it around to that loving um, response. And a lot of the other ones were about loss, you know, um, and um, even like losing, because my, my friends are aging too, but how about that? Um, so you know, at some, some point they're gonna, you know, it's gonna happen. It doesn't do me any good to worry about it on the way, you know, so I love, um, I love reframing that. But I also wanted to tell you, I see um, a writing assignment for um, my sponsees coming up and I'm gonna write further on some of this stuff. Um, but I really like that and I like, it. Um, so I got everything down. I already downloaded the, um, the PowerPoint so that I can work on it further. The one other thing I wanna say and then I'll be done is um, I liked, I'd never heard this like, grouping sponsorship meetings and, um, um, oh, I forgot to write the word, uh, telephone as networking tools, you know, and connection tools. I love that, you know, and we we think about networking for work and for all that stuff. That's great. I like that, that uh, the visual it gives me of the networking. So um, thank you for helping me work some things out today. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. Um, I have another uh, really good question. Um, oops. Uh, sometimes I wake in the morning feeling nameless fear. Do you have any suggestions for addressing this? Uh, I, I relate. <laughs> I wake up many, many mornings with that nameless fear. Um, yeah, that's where just having the routine of the doing a daily prayer as soon as I can after I wake up again. I already said like some days I don't even get a chance to do it, but if I can do it pretty quickly after I wake up, it's just, it's redirecting my thinking to, again, it's like fear track or love track, right? I can like toggle back in between either one. And so if I can like keep turning over to the fear, the, excuse me, away from the fear track and toward the love track, um, that helps. So getting in my daily third step prayer, um, doing, you know, I do a daily reading. I love the OA for today. That's kind of my standard one because it's like a quick um, one that I can get in. I have a few other daily readers I'll turn to. Um, and again, yeah, I um, I have my earbuds in a lot when I'm with my kids, uh, one in, you know, just so I can like get the voices of recovery just like coming into my ears. And that helps too. Like I'm not alone with my fearful thoughts as I'm listening to someone like, you know, share on a podcast or I'll call in the great thing about, you know, one of the blessings of this pandemic is like, I can access so many meetings that I wouldn't have access before. So, you know, I'm, I'm calling into a phone meeting or different Zoom meetings. Um, you know, there's something really 24 hours a day. So I'll just have that going and just, and having that, I'll sometimes have it going for like hours of the day. And it really does help because again, it's like, otherwise I'm alone with the fear voices and I need something to come in and, and temper that and to like direct the, like, again, going back to that tour bus analogy, you know, we're on this big tour bus together, fear's got the mic and it's like, hey, everybody, I'm gonna narrate every single fear that you've ever had. And like, we'll have about, you know, things coming up and things today and things that have already happened. And it's like, okay, love, no, you get to like share on the mic right now. What do you want to share? And again, just even hearing other people's recovery stories is part of that. And I text a lot too. If I don't have a chance, you know, for calls, again, I'm with my kids and it, it can be hard for a live call. 
um, you know, I'll just be sending out texts of like, oh, yeah, I have this, you know, this fear going, or I just have like a fear sort of loop going, even just sharing that. I don't even have to share the specific fear necessarily if I don't have time, but just saying like, yeah, I'm in a fear space today and just having other, you know, people in recovery say, I hear you. You know, I just know I'm, I just constant reminders. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm connected. I'm like woven into this like net of recovery. So as the fears come at me, I'm not absorbing them alone. Right. It's like the absorption of the shock gets sort of diffused throughout the whole net and I'm, you know, woven in together with all these other people. So I hope, I hope that helps. I don't see any hands and I haven't received any more questions in the chat. Thank you, Mickey. Yeah, if you're just joining us, we're sharing on um, any thoughts about fear really at this point. Yeah, anything that was brought up in the workshop. Um, I think I've shared again, yeah, the workshop slides if you're arriving late um, so you can access the questions that we did some writing and thinking about today. Um, yeah, just anything that's on your on your heart, like you don't have to share about anything on the workshop. This is an open sharing time that can be about um, just things in general. So feel free to jump in if you would like. Uh, we have Ashley. Okay, hi, thank you so much for your share. This is such a gift and such the type of thing that I think I need in my life, actually like meetings like this that make me write. And so that was going to be my question because I'm not like as sure about using the whole OA platform, how to find these meetings. But if you know of any other meetings that have you write, I find it hard to do myself because I take so long on things that it feels like safe to have it like structured um, besides me just like planning out, okay, I'll write this in the morning, but like yeah, so that that was kind of my question if you had any other suggestions for that. And thank you so much. Thanks, Ashley. Um, I don't have any meetings off the top of my head, but I did share share my contact info in the chat. So if you want to contact me, I can look into if there's any specific meetings that are structured for, for writing time. I'd say in the meantime, um, I know it helps me to have like writing buddies. So, you know, whether my sponsor has assigned me like a certain section of writing. Um, and so or just some other thing that I know I need to write about. Yeah, I might just check in with another fellow and be like, hey, I'm gonna spend 20 minutes writing about this. So I'll check in before and then I check in after. I'm like, I did the writing and then I, you know, I move on. So I know I've got somebody out there who's who I'm accountable to. Um, so that's something I use for a lot of different things where I just like check in and, and say like, I'm struggling with this. And then someone knows I'm working on it and they'll ask me about it if I don't report back. <laughs> so that can help too in the meantime. Yeah, hopefully that helps. I can I just jump in because I'm Carrie from Wisconsin and I know some writing meetings in um I don't know if they're in Wisconsin but they're virtual called OA Footsteps and um there's some that are they strictly do writing in them and they do or I don't know if strictly I've never been but mm -hmm. they do write there's the top they have they have meetings every odd hour throughout 24 hours a day and some of the days have uh writing as the day like maybe a Wednesday or something they have a writing meeting at one o'clock in the afternoon that's just a guess but um if she can look up OA footsteps I would google it and it, I'm sure it would come up mm -hmm. and then there's a whole meeting list that she can choose from with all kinds of different topics it's a really mm -hmm. good um resource that's great we that. 
Yeah, Carrie, can you say that uh, that site or that resource again, really quick, just to make sure people. Hear I don't it. know the I don't know the exact website, but I know it's OA Footsteps. So if you Google it, okay. I'm sure you would go come to it. Okay. Great. Thank you, Carrie. I don't know if it's .org or .com, but I'm I know it's OA Footsteps. So, okay. and it's, that's what it, that's what they go by. So I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Okay. okay. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. We still have open sharing time. Well, let's see. Um, I think I see Julie R. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but San Diego Intergroup has a writing group that meets every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. And the people who go are able to ask different questions. There's four questions and then everybody writes and then there's time for a little share at the end. San Diego Intergroup. That's all, Pat. Thank you, Julie. I'm Lori, I'll jump in while we have a little lull in the action. I'm Lori, I'm a compulsive eater and I'm super grateful to be here. Stacy, you gave me so much, like pages and pages of food for thought. <laughs> so I love, you know, it's kind of a positive spin on, on the reality of fear. You know I mean? It is what it is and we can't, you know, I'm, I think I've been in a little bit in denial about it. I just um, recently um, got um, a doctor's suggestion to take some supplements um, because of uh, prolonged you know, everybody's gone through COVID. Nobody, I mean, everybody around the whole planet. And um, so my fear was real, you know what I mean? But I just thought that because I'm such a positive, um, joyful, cheerful, helpful person that I wasn't experiencing fear. And that's, a, and then, you know, just to name it too, somebody suggested, you know, I was, I felt shame. Like I had no right to feel, feel fearful. And so I just love that, you know what, it is what it is. Um, I liked what you said about making it an ally, um, working with it, you know what I mean? And just just not being in denial about it, man. I, I mean, I seriously, I've got pages and pages um, to work on and, and I love that um, the handout that, that you gave us to the link and everything. So yeah, just lots of, lots of good tools. I'm a big tool banger biggest tool for me is my higher power um, and to um, always ask for help. I'm just so grateful for learning how to handle life differently. And um, now I see a hand up, so I'll pass. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think I see Nancy. Yeah. Yes. Um, hi, Stacey. I'm, I'm new to OA, but I am a compulsive eater. Um, I am in another um, 12th program so I do know the 12 steps um, for me I'm um, fear 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 and anxiety was more part of my life um, before I hit 50 once I hit 50 uh, I can say some of my depression stayed but my my fear and anxiety kind of left me a little bit I felt like um, I came into my own more I didn't care what people thought as much I don't know why that happened for me but it just did it was just maybe a function of my age I said hey I'm older now i don't you know i got so much of my life to think sometimes it's a it's a natural progression of your 
age, you just say, hey, you know, um, you know, my life's very short and this is how I feel. But I never would have thought that in my 40s. Never. I, I always woke up fearful. I always was anxious. I thought about things that I don't think about now. And I'm just like, you know, steady on, move forward. I can't waste my time. You know, I only have so much time left. So, you know, I hope for people that are younger than me that maybe that's something to think about, that maybe there's times in our life when it really plays a part. And then maybe as you age, they say sometimes you're happier when you're older. So maybe that's something to think about. Maybe as you get older, you won't, you, you know, people won't feel it as much. So I just wanted to add that in, but thank you so much for this. Thank you, Nancy. I think I see Karina. Hello, I don't have my um, camera on. Karina, compulsive reader and bulimic because it was a morning to sleep in and I totally swept through your um, beautiful share. I'm so sorry, Stacey. Like I haven't slept in this much in years. Like this is, a, and then with the time change, I was like, oh my God, so I'm sorry, but I also know you very well. And you'd be like, your body did what it's supposed to do. Um, so I'm really sorry, but what I did here, and then I was reading through the files um, and I already feel like I have some good ideas to um, write about, but um, fear is the root of my disease. Fear is the driving force of my, my disease actions. Um, and I, I would say it's like the antithesis of my higher power. Um, when I make a choice, whether it's with food, actions, compulsions, thinking, um, that is like defensive and small and black and white, it's always driven by fear. And and if and my behaviors either feed, like I know you talk about, like either feed the fear and the disease, or it's feeding my recovery. Um, and so I'm, I'm very familiar with this, this concept and I love the reminder because, um, yeah, it needs to be addressed daily. Um, and, and especially right now, like just where I am in time and space, um, where all of us are, valid fear is the worst because, <laughs> because then it's like, you know, that healthy way of addressing legitimate things to be scared of, do our best and seen. <laughs> where where you know it's like take the next right action turn over the outcome or lately it's been I don't know I've been writing it on everything it's like trust God and clean house right it's like not up to me I do my part which is plenty it's always recovery work and then I have to turn it over to God so um and I also love you know the way you talk about love being kind of the you know like the antidote to fear and um that's always true for me and that's true for what my higher power is so um I just love the reminder of the conversation and uh I've been doing a little writing every day and and um yeah this is definitely going to be in my in my next few days of writing so I'm really sorry I missed the bulk of what you had to say um and I'm really glad to see you thank you for your service Stacey Thank you, Karina. I'm very glad that you got to sleep in. I know it's a hard day with daylight savings. Yeah, and just so everyone knows, there this is being recorded. I'm not sure when um, it'll be available, but I'm sure there'll be um, people sending that out once the recording is ready. So yeah, if you missed anything, um, 
it is being recorded and then I have, I can put it in one more time. I put in the link to the slides that I use for the workshop um, if you wanna be able to go through those if you missed um, those earlier. So yeah, thank you so much everyone for being here. I know it's a difficult morning, especially with daylight savings to jump mm -hmm. on. All right, I see Anna Mae up next. Okay, forgot to unmute. Hi everyone, my name is Anna Mae, compulsive leader. Thank you, Stacy, very much. Um, I guess the thing that I want to share about myself is that I truly believe that acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. So I'm probably the only person that I know in my group of people that I know that totally has accepted COVID. You know, like it, it hasn't, no, I'm fortunate that I'm, old <laughs> so I'm retired I live alone um, so unlike the people that are dealing with small children schooling at home um, work situations um, I'm not afraid of aging I'm not afraid of death or illnesses I'm very familiar with all of those things um, in my life uh, uh, my son was born with a terminal disease, and so I, you know, reared him dealing with that and uh, managed to live for a long time. So, um, and I've spent a lot of time in hospitals. I guess I'm a good person to be around that situation. Um, I, um, but I, when I think of acceptance in my life, then I have to think of what it's like, say, for the people in other parts of the world. I have no expectation that they should be accepting in my manner the things that are happening to them in war-torn countries, horrible violence, things like this. But that's not where I live in my little city in Canada. Um, so I'm uh, grateful for the years sitting in rooms and uh, the many you know, speakers that I've heard, and Stacey, you are one of them now. And um, so thanks for the day. I just wanted to make sure I checked in and said hello to everyone. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you, Anna May. Um, I see May up next. Hey, everybody. May, recovering compulsive overeater. Stacey, uh, I know you shared, I believe you said anxiety and depression and um and i i wonder what you recommend for you know when you when you feel just an overall you mentioned some things about how i think somebody in your family i don't know if it was a father or a father-in-law something about um about the change of of the state of of the world and, and and relationships with others and and um and and the thing that pops up in my mind is the whole black lives matters and i think you mentioned it or something to that effect um my question for you is um you know when 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 there is an utter feeling of of sadness and despair for and I try to focus, I do, I try to focus on the things I can control and the things that are, you know, as they say, you know, the positive things are always gonna be negative things, blah, blah, blah. Um, how do you, 
kind of, I, I guess it's that acceptance thing. Is the answer just, okay, well, we just have to accept that everything is not going to be the way we want it to be. There's, there's, there is horribleness that we do have to depend on others. Um, like, you know, like if you get stopped by a police officer, you don't know if you, you picked the wrong one, you know, you said, you say, hello, sir, how are you? Or hello, ma'am, how are you? And they shoot you to the ground. You know, my, my, what is my question exactly? How would you recommend, and based on everything that you've said, um, how would you recommend just kind of not feeling like sometimes nothing is enough and, you know, we look back through history and we look at so much suffering and, and some of it did help, some of it didn't. Is it just kind of, you know, we accept that that's just because of human free will. And I read and heard a speaker before on how they feel that God or whoever your higher power is, 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 is not able to control human behavior and that's why we have free will and and you know all that stuff but how can we feel okay just by accepting and just practicing our accepting and and all as the answers for us today you know that kind of thing and just doing our part and teaching it to our kids and sorry for the kind of wiggly way that I'm explaining it, it is not perfectly clear, but I, I'm hoping you understand what I mean. <laughs> yes, thank you, May. I think I understand. Um, yeah, I'll give you my thoughts based on what I'm understanding of your question. Um, yeah, this is true for many different <clears throat> aspects of life uh, where my heart just breaks for the reality of whatever it is. You know, this past year has been unprecedented um, in a lot of ways of just like one thing after the other and continuing, right? Um, I've I've definitely noticed, you know, it's parallels to being in recovery. I'm either in denial, like I'm asleep or I'm awake and aware. And that can be very painful to be awake and aware um, of just all the realities of life. So I need tools to help me navigate that. And um, yeah, part of my daily prayers um, as I do my third step prayer, I'll do sort of like different variations of that. And I'll add in, you know, praying for the courage and the willingness to work for my higher powers, love and peace and justice in the world, whatever that might look like, you know, because I have to show up and do that. And that requires often, you know, discomfort from me to do that. And then I, you know, I pray for my higher power, just love itself um to and peace and justice to like sweep through you know all of our hearts to help all of us and this is me included turn away you know all of us who are wounded who are hurting who are suffering who are scared um i try to definitely include myself here because it's not like oh all those people right no i'm one of them um and it all shows up differently for us how we then express that suffering but all of us who are in that that darkness of fear and that suffering help us turn towards the light of love help us turn towards the light of love like that has been my daily prayer for a while now um that has been inspired partially by this last year um yeah and it's that's also part of like 
the first three steps, you know, it's like my powerlessness over a lot of things, um, but I just trust the process. I trust what my actions that I can control. It's also serenity prayer, right? So like helping, asking for the courage to change what I can and accept, you know, what I cannot change and having the wisdom to know the difference um, and that trusting, you know, things will move in a certain direction and this things might not happen that I will see in my lifetime, but I know I'm doing work that will hopefully move things to a, a world that's um, where people act out of justice and love, you know, as much as we can. I don't believe that we can eliminate what people I think of as evil, um, you know, and, and that's often fear, fear just being channeled in different ways. I think that's always just part of this universe, um, all of us as humans, but again, we can have choices over how we act out of love. So I pray for that. I pray for my own willingness to do that. And I pray for everyone else to find that willingness. So I hope that helps in some way. All right, I see Kat. Kat has a hand raised. Hello, I'm Kat, compulsive eater. My hard drive chose this moment to Rev up, so sorry. So I lived, you know, my husband um, is in recovery too. And, you know, we both worked through the steps, but he got in all this fear and just would just like supply me with fear. You know, it's all his fault. Um, and um, and then just like, um, I would do the um, fourth step in the big book, take it to my sponsor, give it over to God and then work with another person to try and help them. I just repeated that. And then I just came across the welcoming prayer by Father Thomas Keating. And it says, I welcome everything that's coming into me today for my healing. And so it was like, I have fear. Don't push it away. I heard you saying that earlier too. It's like, here it is. And like welcome that in and ask the spirit in to come in and be with me in the fear. And then I heard you saying that with the your huddle, your coaches, <laughs> and then the fear go goes around. I'm I love that. And then um and let go of my desire to um change anyone, change him, how he's feeling. Um and so I'm just hearing this in the whole week. It's like okay to have a feeling, you know. It's it's okay to have a feeling, you know, and so I really appreciate that. And um, so thanks for reinforcing what my higher power power has been laying down. So um, just really appreciate that. So thanks. Thank you, Kat. Don't think I see any other hands raised right now. We still have. I believe we do open sharing until noon, so we still have. 12 minutes or maybe a little less um, if there's any transition time, but feel free to raise your hand if you'd like to share. It's just open I'll, sharing. I'll share if that's okay. Yeah, um, go for it. The whole serenity retreat has been just so wonderful, um, including yours this morning. And um, yesterday we had a meditation. If anybody missed it, it's gonna be on the recording. You'll wanna listen to it. It was really good. And I'm not really into meditation, so I got, kind of captured into this one she had a train one train's going to the right and it's everything you want in your life you want to keep and then there's a train going to the left and you put everything in the left train 
that you don't want anymore. You don't need anymore. So I put my ex-husband and his wife in that train. You got to go. And in the train going to the right, I've always wanted a lap pool in my backyard. So I started putting this lap pool into the train. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like really messy and sloppy water. Um, so anyway, um, I then had a, you know, in the old movies, how they had a conductor that was there at the train. So I had him have a little clipboard and he was marking off stuff as I put it in like the pool, my OA friends, um, everything that I want. And I came across, do I want a new man? Um, and I was kind of like, should I think about that? And I'm like, no, no, just put him in the, in the maybe train, um, Trains have different, whatever they're called. Anyway, put them in the, um, the maybe category. <laughs> anyway, I just was really having a lot of fun with it. So I really appreciated that part, that being part of the retreat as well. And um, thanks for everybody for being here. We've had excellent support from all the co-hosts that helped me. I want to acknowledge all the help you guys did. And then Lisa has her hand up. Thank you all. Hi, I'm Lisa, a compulsive overeater and sugar addict. Um, this is my first retreat. I'm pretty new to OA. I joined June 27th of 2020. I haven't been abstinent that whole time, but that's when I joined. Um, it's been perfectly imperfect abstinence ever since I realized you have to adjust it because you're not 100% honest when you start. You think you are, but as you go, you realize, oh, <laughs> I'm not really being 100% honest about everything. Um, and so your abstinence kind of changes. You go, oh, I thought I was abstinence for 45 days or 75 days or whatever it was. And then you realize, uh-oh, I wasn't. But you can't strip it all away and say it wasn't worth those learning of for, you know, 75 days of whatever. Um, so I'm kind of doing the same thing now, which is surprising, with instead of focusing so much on the food, um, <clears throat> Sorry, I'm really nervous. <laughs> um, instead of focusing on the food, I started to really focus on the weight. And I was getting anxiety every time I would think about weighing in for the week. So I decided uh, that I, I, okay, I'm rambling. I've been bouncing between steps one, two, and three and circle and circle and circle. And I just can't move forward. And my amazing sponsor said, <laughs> maybe it's because I haven't finished with the, with the step that I'm on and I can't move forward. I need to, you know, really focus on that. And so I've been kind of playing with it and I re realized that I couldn't connect to a higher power because I was making the scale my higher power. Every week I was allowing it to tally my worth with whatever number it was giving me. But because of our disease, the disease, um, no matter what it said to me, it was never enough. <clears throat> if I lost two, four, eight, didn't matter. Um, I would tell myself I was happy, but I wasn't really happy. I always wanted more, which scared me because I realized this could go opposite. I could get down to a healthy weight and keep on wanting more. And it could, you know, lead to the opposite of obesity. And I don't want that either. I don't want to be skinny and miserable. <laughs> so I, I decided uh, to give up the scale, which is very, very difficult for me because I used to weigh in multiple times a day. <sighs> but uh, I noticed myself wanting to weigh in a day before, two days before my weigh-in time. So um, I decided to give it up as my higher power so that I could find a different one and work on a different 
connection. And it's, and it's so funny because like for the first day and a half, I was like, yes, I feel this freedom. It's great. And then today I had this thought of, oh, well, how am I going to know? How am I going to know what that number is? And I found myself thinking, you know, like, how am I going to be measured? And that was such an interesting thought to myself because I really need to, to know how, how am I measured? You know, tell me a number, tell me a something. And so this is just an eye-opening experience to go, well, I guess I'm, I'm not going to measure myself like that anymore. And it, it's, it's kind of like a grief, you know, that you're like, well, I'm not going to put this worth to this number. If I don't have the number, what the hell do I do? <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of in that transition, you know, of, of trusting this program and diving in and going, it's not about the weight and it's not about the specific food either. It's, it's about me and all the stuff underneath it. And so now I get to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> so anyway, thank you all for listening and thank you for being here. And thank you every one of you for your service to make this um, virtual experience happen um, with the world as it is. So just thank you. And then with that, I pass. Thank you. I'm not sure if I saw any other hands right now. Let me check. Uh, we have um, Ashley. Uh, I just really quickly wanted to ask uh, Stacy um, what the symbol that you showed us, I think it was kind of like that. What did it mean again? Yeah, let me grab it. Um, so this is from my sponsor. Actually, I think, so my sponsor has several other sponsees. We all kind of work together as a group. We call ourselves the love team. And one of them uh, works, she uh, signs ASL. So she was telling us the sign for connect is two hands with um, the, what is that? The thumb and the index finger encircling each other. Yeah, so you're like, you know, literally connecting your hands like this. Um, yeah, and so she sent out cards to all of us because that is her mantra, like she'll say to us, you know, like when you're not sure what to do or you're like you're struggling, like connect, connect, connect. And like that's been part of our, basically our assignments. And yeah, it really has become a symbol of, you know, what recovery is to me and what higher power is. It's like connection is the opposite of addiction. So anytime I can connect, you know, that's just one step away from being, you know, stuck in fear and addiction. It doesn't mean it's going to eliminate, eliminate it, um, but it will take away some of the power. And yeah, that really has been something powerful for me. So thanks, Ashley. Um, I see, who do I see? Is it um, Ros Rosalind? I'm probably screwing that name up. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, hi, it's, it's, uh, it's Roisin, it's Roisin, um, so yeah, hi, so um, I'll just go on camera, but I don't really have makeup on, so, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I just was, I, um, I'm not even able to ask this question properly, um, and, but I, um, you know, I'm just dealing with the situation in a group at the moment who, um, where, you know, I've basically just basically been feeling of a bullying situation going on for a group um, that I attend really regularly. And I've, you know, anyway, um, so it's just to, it's just to try and um, get support around that. There seems to be, you know, this person has a lot of people you know, on her side or whatever, 
I think maybe and she does not want to be honest about her behavior um, and what's going on um, and there's constant kind of things um, little remarks and um, behaviors and things that are constantly happening um, but um, so yeah and it was just bringing up so much anger because of bullying stuff from the past um, you know many times before whatever um, but um, yeah just you know and I um, yeah I don't even know what my question is like I'm, I'm just going to do my best with it obviously and be as honest as I can I don't want this kind of energy in my life and obviously not in the meeting that I attend really regularly like a home meeting I didn't want to be bullied out of the meeting um, you know I'm trying to stand up for myself and I know I have I, I there's very little I've done you know but I was reacting, you know, um, and I was being angry, but I wasn't really, I wasn't expressing that. Like I wasn't trying to make the situation worse, but um, and I'm so done with it. But anyway, I'll just try my best. And um, um, I suppose if, if the situation doesn't change, you know, it's maybe not a healthy meeting for me or whatever. So um, whatever, take, cross that bridge when I come to it, you know, but um. Yeah, and just really work the program with it and stuff. So yeah, I don't even know. There's not really a question in that actually. Um, but just fear, you know, meetings are meant to be safe. Um, and I have a, you know, I'm learning to stand up to things when they happen instead of because I just get traumatized basically, and I'm not able to speak up. I'm not. I I'm afraid to confront it. You know, so. Um, but then it builds up and whatever. So I eventually have to confront it anyway. So um, yeah, just um, gonna try and deal with it as um, constructively and successfully as possible and for everyone, you know, for the group as well, of course. So yeah, um, sorry, there's not even a question really in that, but um, yeah, yeah, I'll just leave it at that, I suppose. Don't know. Thank you. Yeah, this you don't have to ask questions. You can you can share during this time, so there doesn't have to be a question. Thank you. So that is all the time we have for shares. That was awesome. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thank you, Stacy, for being our speaker today. We appreciate you more than you know. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember our commitment to honor each other's anonymity, take the stories, but leave the names behind. Please remember our seventh tradition and give what you can so we are able to keep our serenity treat going strong. Our PayPal is in the chat, I believe. Uh, thanks everyone who gave service to make this retreat possible and to you for attending. When we meet in person, this is the time we talk about re-entry. So, and then I left a blank because Nicole was supposed to do this part. So, um, so um, I'll just uh, speak a couple of minutes because I know we're up against noon. About my own experience is that uh, when we meet in person, we're like in this little cocoon and we're feeling safe and we're, um, going deeper into our issues and that can leave us really exposed. And especially this time that we're in where we're kind of trying, hoping the end of the pandemic is coming, but there's still a lot of fear around everything. And um, 
that um, this may be a time for, you know, everyone else is dealing with their stuff and we've been in these sessions and, you know, trying to uncover, especially today, our fears and facing that perhaps there is no solution to our fear except to trust our higher power, which can be so hard to do when um, when the fear feels so big. But to um, to uh, protect your recovery, right? As we go out from here with everybody that has their stuff and their fears and their perspective, especially when they are so solid in their belief that they're right, when you are so solid in your belief that you are right and you're like doing this, right? So, um, and, and I know for me, recovery is a process, this unpeeling of the onion that for me, my higher power puts in front of me when I'm ready to handle, when I'm ready to handle it, even though I don't think I'm ready to handle it, right? And so um, to, uh, like Stacy was saying, connect, right? If we, if we, as we go out from here, maybe spend some time alone after we sign off to just be with your feelings, to maybe do some more writing, and then to reach out to someone that you trust to share what's coming up for you so you don't take it out into the world with you. Um, I've, I've been going through some pretty tough times right now, and I feel like I'm walking around without any skin on. And a lot of times that's how I feel after a retreat is that every nerve is exposed and I become, um, you know, it doesn't take much, <laughs> right? So um, everyone here and everyone in our OA family, we're here for you. Um, I, I found the times that I reach out the other person on the other line is exactly what they needed was for someone to, 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 uh, um, they needed someone like it's, it's like God is doing for them what they couldn't do for themselves. They needed a call. They couldn't make the call. And somehow my higher power sent me to call them. And so, um, and it's 1203. So, <laughs> So just remember that connect, reach out. You know, we are all worthy of recovery. That's why we're here. That's why we keep coming back and don't leave before the miracle happens. So um, uh, again, seventh tradition. And if you wanna be on, um, on the contact list, please put your, your contact information in the chat. Okay, after a moment of silence, will those who wish, please join me in the Founder's Promise. I will speak it aloud and invite those of you who wish to join me silently. And I believe we're leaving the room open for half an hour for people to have some fellowship. Christina's nodding, yes, okay. So we will open for, uh, after we close, the meeting will stay open for half an hour. You can unmute yourselves then and uh, connect with each other. So a moment of silence for those inside and outside of these rooms who still suffer. I put my hand in yours and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness, 
No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Woo! Keep coming back. Excellent. Thanks everyone for coming. It works. Hope you're working. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks to all the hosts and moderators and all of your service. Oh, yeah. I was supposed to say that before we ended. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Yes. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, so powerful. Thank you so much, everybody. So much love. Thank you so much. Um, Alice, did you want to stop the recording? Oh, thank you. Uh-huh.